It is January 8th, 2021. And Timothy, we have finally made it to the top 10 of the best wrestlers of the 20 of the 2010s. Uh, took a day, took a day break, came back, feel a little, feel a little recharged. I imagine you would feel, I imagine you would feel the same. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I guess as, as recharged as you can feel given everything that like is happening currently. Definitely. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it doesn't really even feel like we took a day off. And then, like, uh, you know, also because of the editing for the last one got delayed a little bit. So there's, like, the day in between is a little bit mixed up, I think, for people listening. So before we get before we get into the uh, into the top ten, um, I, I don't know. Do you want to, like, because the, cause the ten is a guy that we talked about earlier, um, you know, um, in private. Because I was curious because you haven't said him yet. Yes. So should, should we should I lead off with him and then we get into it? Yeah, let me... Uh... Or, yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, uh, my number my number ten is Hiroshima. Right, and he should have been my number twenty two. And so I think in the recording, I think it was on the recording. I even said like, "Oh fuck, I accidentally deleted someone," and I realized after looking at it that I had deleted someone, and I thought I had put it back and fixed it. But what I had done was put Eddie Kingston twice, <laughs> and <laughs> that was why I fucked up and said Eddie Kingston in the wrong spot. Um, when we were going through it, so Hiroshima should have been 22, Eddie Kingston 23, Shingo 21, and then everyone obviously bumps up if you think about it from there, which sucks for people listening. I guess I could say it right now, but whatever. Just, I guess the important thing is just think that I said Kenny Omega 11, he should be my 10. I think we'll still, won't talk about him right after this, or wouldn't have talked about him at 10, so I don't think it ends up really affecting anything, especially because my last three people were all ones that you said you had higher. In fact, actually, maybe even four, because did you say you had Okada higher? Yeah. Yeah, so my last, like, four were all ones that you had higher anyways. So it doesn't really affect too much what we even talked about, because we wouldn't have talked about any of them either way. But yeah, so that that was that. I When I was trying to figure this out, I had debated, like, doing a bit and just saying, like, Actually, I messed up and there was a tie on Hiroshi Tanahashi and, and uh, Hiroshima and that I was just going to give <laughs> Tanahashi's case and just understand that that also means Hiroshima. Everything is just ditto. Um, but uh, then I realized as I looked over my list more what had happened, which should have been a quick uh, notice, but it took me a little bit to figure it out because I was literally at work as I was trying to figure it out. So I'm trying to uh, do my work and and figure out what the fuck was going on. So anyways, Hiroshima, you're number 10, my number 22, and that explains that for everyone. All right, so let's 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 get into them then. Uh Hiroshima, my number 10. And you kind of uh touch on it there, but you know, for someone like Tanahashi who uh, who we're going who we're going to get to tonight, you know, Hiroshima is pretty much just this the same thing. Um Maybe not, maybe not as consistent in terms of being on top because, uh, because of the just like the nature of DDT and how things can get there. But in terms of the person that they constantly go to, constantly trust, constantly, uh, want to be in the position, uh, to be the guy steering the ship, even as uh, you know, they have someone like Takashita and people like Endo coming, uh, coming up in this in this in this generation. You wanted Hiroshima to be the guy that. Uh, could get them there or lead them to where they needed to be, and from the begin from the from 2010 up until up until 2019, you name it, whether it's uh, 
with, with his KOD open weight stuff, stuff with the stuff with the tag titles, comedy, sprints, mat work, um, long long main event, long main events. Harashima is just the go-to guy in DDT, and he isn't too much of one thing. Just like Tanahashi, Tanahashi isn't too isn't too much into the epic sequence. Tanahashi isn't 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 super boring. Tanahashi isn't like super stoic. He can be charismatic and funny, and Harashima checks off a lot of the a lot of those boxes. And like Tanahashi, does have a lot of like some some of the best matches of the decade. I would say that Kudo match is. When when I when I go through the top 100 matches of the decade, that Kudo match from 2015 is going to be super super high for me. Kenny Omega versus Harashima is going to be super high for me. Uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the Abushi Harashima matches, uh, Takashita versus Harashima, and there's so many of them to choose from. Harashima versus Sakaguchi is such a good combination. Harashima and Akito, and and that and that applies to Harashima up and down the card. You can have him doing 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 comedy. Uh, with with her with Harada and and Dino, you can have him going out there and grappling with with uh with Shinya Aoki, and you know that Harashima is the guy that no matter what situation you put him in, whether it's a young guy, uh, a novelty act, comedy, uh, someone from his generation, Harashima delivers time in and time out, and really should be getting that respect of being one of the best title match workers, one of the best main eventers of the decade. But I get it. You know, out of all the DDT people that we think of, Harashima is the least flashy. Harashima is the least charismatic, I guess, or the least, you know, dazzling. But the same kind of respect that people like Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi get, or even the same respect that Okada and Tanahashi and uh, and all those others get, Harashima should get the same thing. He's not someone that's super one note, like a Daisuke Sekimoto, but, you know, like he's someone that really gives it gives it all to you. And it's always fascinating to me to kind of hear Harashima be like perennially underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think maybe even I personally underrated him. So to be fair, I think you're you're completely correct on that. I think he's pretty easy to overlook. I think the comparison to Tanahashi obviously is there, but like you mentioning it, I mean, the 2010s are the decade realistically where the the, the gulch between the two would be smaller than ever. Really, even just for like you're talking about the focus, because the 2010s, I mean. Tanahashi was cycled down quite a bit comparatively to even like the 2000s. So, so, like, to say that, I mean, they were both probably pretty equally prominently featured um, over the course of the entire decade. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess like, like Tanahashi did get that last IWGP title run. He did beat Kenny Omega at the Dome, and Harashima did just have that. Uh, the oh that oh that oh, KOD open weight win beating beating Takashita like those are like uh, those like those are pretty close to each other yeah then I think it's actually the same year so yeah yeah exactly so so you know there is that that as well and uh, and uh, it's it's really I think a matter of taste in some ways and comparing the two and in any other situation I think I might actually say that I prefer Harashima a little bit more um, because the difference is really the polish. And the the not polish like in ring wise not not for their in ring ability or whatever but polish for like the production the the gear the look the whole thing um, Harashima is a little bit more gritty and a little bit more down to earth and more realistic it seems in a lot of ways in the way that he's presented um, which I kind of prefer um, obviously that has to do with New Japan uh, Tanahashi can do that stuff too but it's like it's just not the way 
that he is anymore and the way that New Japan is. So uh, kind of like changes that side of things. But yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's like it's the amount of people that Hiroshima can go in there with and have great matches with. Uh, you talked about it. Like one of the positives as well with DDT is that he's able to work. You know, he doesn't work a lot other places, but he can and has popped up in other places. You don't even really get that from Tanahashi throughout the decade at all. Um not to say that it's a lot, but stuff like the shuffle tag. And then when Tanahashi does it, like he goes to DDT, and like when you watch them kind of work each other, like yeah, it's kind of set up as like Tanahashi is the better version of Hiroshima, but like Hiroshima is like even good as like I guess kind of like, kind of like uh, devaluing himself in that match, kind of, which like sucks that like Tanahashi came in and guess like kind of big dicked him, I guess, but yeah. like like. But Hiroshima was even good at, like, kind of devaluing himself, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Yeah, that's that's also a good point. So it's like, yeah, he's uh, he's able to to do that as well. He's able to play gracious. He can play over the... He can... He's... I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, he's probably a little bit more diverse um, and able to fit in a lot of different situations than Tanahashi can. So there's that as well. Um, but, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, but I was gonna say the the shuffle tags is, are like a really good example, and the you know it's fresh in my mind because the one that just happened, which doesn't count for this, but like 2019, 2018, he was also great in the in there. So seeing him mix it up with different people is is super fun, and he's really good. Just you could basically put him with anybody, and he can uh, he can pull out something interesting. So yeah, definitely a great all arounder. Um, my number ten was Kenny Omega. Like I said, you already said that we'll talk about him later, so we'll talk about him later. Um, I guess you're number nine. Uh, my number nine, uh, and again, this is gonna be where like all a lot a lot of crossover happens. So I'm gonna be curious on like where this uh, sure. person lands for you. Uh, my number nine is Walter. Uh, Walter, I had at number twenty. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, yeah. shit. Yeah. I, so I had, I had um, there. All right, but uh, do you want me to talk? I about think. Or what do you think? Oh, I mean, you, you can start off there. Yeah, 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 I mean, just because I just started off on the last one. I don't know. I mean, we'll see about the next one. Actually, I think my next one you already said. So um, either way, I'll just give my thing because I'm going to probably agree with you for the most part here. And it's probably, you know, people couldn't question why I would have Walter so low and I get it. Um, big fan of his forever. I even at his peak peak when people or, you know, his peak of his popularity when people were go head over heels gaga for him. I was never the firmest, hardest, biggest Walter Stan. Um, I appreciate him, and I'm not one of these people who attacks him for the formulaic nature of his stuff. I think he's actually pretty good. Um, I just, I guess one note as a character, um, he can do heel and babyface, but he's very much the same. Um, I think that he can work with anybody, but yeah, he just, he lacks a diversity, I guess is what it is. I don't mind the formula of his matches. It, it does get repetitive. It does get boring, but he has, he does branch out from that. And when he gets to, he's really, really intriguing and interesting. Um, primarily throughout the entire decade, obviously one of the big standouts is like the, the feud with Zack Sabre Jr. Where he almost never, I think maybe once, once he was at like the peak of his popularity, they kind of worked the... The, the thing that became the stereotypical Walter match, but everything before that was not in that style. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, he's just a guy who I think early on in the decade um, had flashes of what he could become, but was a little bit raw um, and didn't quite, you know, he's kind of like a still kind of getting his feet underneath him. He does start to put it together and have some great stuff. We even just recently reviewed uh, that match with Sami Zayn from WXW 16 Carat. Um, where I think that he was pretty at, at the heights of his powers there, not quite to the level that he gets to, but 
almost there and really good as a heel there. Um, but yeah, I just think a guy who d doesn't give you a lot of emotional depth, which I think is difficult. Um, it's all really visceral and it's really good. And it, it, ser it, it serves a really, a good role for what it is. And it's, it's like shoot based sports based kind of vibe doesn't go over the top with the, the dramatics, but it does make it then hard to be super emotionally invested in him. He's a good base for that. As you see with like the Ilya Dragunov match where him and his kind of built up credibility and the role that he plays is good for you to then get, you know, invested in Ilya as the figure to try to overcome him. You get a similar thing with like David Starr. Um, so yeah, it's, it is, he is good for that. But like I said, I think that he's just, he's kind of limited when it comes to causing emotional investment and I mean, for so much of how, for so much of the 2010s, his, his career is really on an island of, of his own making. You know, he's kind of pretty much just the WXW guy. Um, he has a couple forays here and there, but primarily that's it. Um, and so it's kind of tough where it's like, it feels like he's just, the reason why he <laughs> seems so good um, is because he's like the best guy in a place where they build a lot of the stuff in the promotion around him. Um, and then when he does get to go out and around, he does have a really good case. But I do think that, like I said, it, I won't say exposes, but it does show that when, when he does then start to travel around the world, he basically just takes everyone and has the same match. And that's not his fault because it's probably pretty smart on his regard that that was what people wanted to see. And he was giving the crowds what they wanted. People wanted to see him have that Walter match live. Um, so I can't blame him for that. But to me, it doesn't. It helps bolster his case somewhat, but for to me, it's like you could just be having the same match with the same people you've been wrestling for a decade in WXW instead of just having it with whatever random person you're doing it with all around the world. Um, that said, still still great, um, and I don't think that Walter's a bad wrestler, and I don't have any like major issues with him or anything. I just that's why he didn't make it into my top ten. Um, I'll give my case for Walter, but like I'm. I do think it's interesting though that you don't have like the, like you have like you're like and I'm not saying that like it isn't true because like I feel the same way but like I think it's interesting how you're talking about how you like you know the real sport authentic like you know simulated competition approach like a Walter like you know like that is like you like down to a T but then like he lacks the emotional connection it seems like I guess like Thatcher does I guess that take that takes like Thatcher over the top so like. Obviously, like I feel like that, like you know, Thatcher is way more exp Thatcher is way more expressive in his ma in, in his matches. But is that is that like the real only difference there for you, or is there more? Like the case between Walter and Thatcher. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would say, I would say that uh, the expressive nature. I would say that Thatcher is more varied. I think Thatcher can fill different roles a lot differently. Um, Thatcher can wrestle a lot better from underneath which you don't really get a ton of from walter um <coughs> thatcher can like do be heel babyface equally as well where i think that walter is honestly primarily better only as a heel um or if not a heel at least like tweening that way against a babyface i think you don't get a ton of really good walter matches against heels um so yeah i think that's that's the primary thing that would put it over the top there. And if I'm perfectly honest, I think that un this is an unfortunate thing for Walter. Um, like, you get some Zack matches where he shows off his grappling ability, but I think that in so many cases he's in matches against people 
where it wouldn't make sense. And people have even kind of attacked the Zack series as being unrealistic because of how much he gives up to Zack. But Thatcher, you're able to he's able to have matches more where he plays kind of that game of human chess, as they call it in wrestling, where he can do the back and forth give and take more. Whereas it's hard for Walter to f have opponents where it makes sense for him to have that kind of match with. That's not necessarily an indictment on him because I think he's skilled at it, but you just, he doesn't get to show it off as much as I would like to be able to then like really uh, enjoy his, his work style. You know what I mean? Uh, I get it. I would, I would, I would argue that like, um, like in terms of like the very like the variants, I would say like you know Walter is like the closest thing that we have to like you know, like uh, like a like a Aja Kong or a Vader. So sure. like in in terms of like that level of variance, it's like yeah, like that that's what that's what's gonna take like certain people over the top. Um, as we get like getting onto the like the nitty gritty of our list, but. Is someone that's like six four, three hundred, three hundred pounds, really supposed to be doing all that variance when his whole thing is being so much of an ass kicker and being so big and strong? Um, and I would argue that yeah, like he's done that better this decade than anybody has, and he's done that better than anybody this decade working as a face and a heel. And that's go, and that's going from him uh, teaming teaming with Robert Dreisker and the eventual like turn in the in the eventual turn there and. Uh, when Walter and Walter being a babyface coming out of that coming out of that situation, um, him and like the event, the eventual ring comp stuff and the work as a in the, in the work in the work as a heel, uh, the beginning of his big monster singles run in W in WXW as he's running as he's running through the entire roster and set up as this big monster to be slain, uh, he is the biggest ass kicker that we've had this decade, and. I feel like that, like that, like that matters. Just how someone can be like the best main event worker, the best title match worker, and all that stuff of the of, of a time period. I feel like being the best at that specific role is an uh, important thing, and Walter is that, and has years where, well, I guess like even so, currently from twenty seventeen up until like twenty nineteen, like you know, if you want to say even now, like if someone said Walter's the best wrestler in the world, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. I would I, like his twenty seventeen is ridiculous. His twenty eighteen obviously is the big year where everyone pay, is paying attention to him, and the big blow up happens. But his twenty seventeen is insane, and he has years and he has years before that that are that are insane as well. His twenty twelve is is particularly good. Twenty fourteen is particularly good. Great tag, great tag team worker, and that's going from uh from Dry from Dreisker to Dieter to uh to Thatcher. Uh, and, show, and, show, and showing and showing some variance and showing some variance there. Singles guy, he can work short like he can in ambition, showing off, showing off the grappling and showing off and showing off the striking and that nastiness, or working long like he's shown being like a being a main event guy in PWG and Progress and OTT and WXW. He is the perfect the perfect monster to create a big moment for. Uh, Ilya Dragunov and his ascension. It doesn't work if it's not Walter in that in that match with him. He's the perfect guy to use as a as an elevator for some for for someone else to uh, to get to 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 reach to reach to reach a higher level. And whether that's Sammy Cal whether that's Sammy Callahan, Ilya Dragunov, uh, Lucky Kid, um, and whoever and whoever else that they've thrown at him and used him to to make and elevate Walter is the perfect guy for that. Uh, 
So maybe not the variance, maybe not the versatility that so that that you that you want people who we're going to talk about as being like the best of the decade to have, but the guy that embodies a role that really doesn't exist anymore better than anybody in current professional wrestling does and has been doing that and doing it well since the decade started. Yeah, and I won't argue with that that point. And like you you said it, but it was I mean it was what I was trying to reference there when I mentioned like that it doesn't make sense and that even like I was talking about touring and giving people the match that they want to see live, it doesn't make sense for him to do the other stuff. And that's very fair to say like whatever, but that also means that it's not there to make his case off of. I can't make his case off of having the ability to do as much varied stuff because he doesn't do it. Is that wrong? No. Like it was the right thing for him to do. Like he should be wrestling to his strengths and what makes sense, but then I can't, you know, I don't want to like, like just give him credit and and again like i said part of it is like he has matches outside but so much of his career is just wxw and like well, well, well he's well, very well, good that's like you know, good i was gonna say like well like doesn't the fact that he became so successful outside of wxw in the later years of the decade that factor in there like yeah. yeah the majority of it is wxw but we watched him get over and become the guy in ott progress pwg and evolve he was treated like a main attraction um him, him versus PCO, you could argue is you could argue is the most famous GCW GCW match of uh, uh of the of their of their run. Um, he was uh you he was used as a bolster and beyond. Like he was a big deal everywhere he went. So like yeah, the WXW run is the majority of it, but he's someone that translated his act everywhere else too, and not only became a feature guy, but became like the guy there. Right, and I mean it. it... It comes down to a lot of that stuff that he's doing there was, was as you talked about, like a, a bolster for Beyond or whatever. I mean, he's he's kind of a touring attraction, and that's why I say he kind of has his match. I mean, if, if, if I mean his matches are obviously of better quality, but in a lot of ways, what he what he was doing in other promotions was similar to like Andre the Giant coming in for battle royals and all of the territories all around, and like Andre the Giant makes a great case, but that doesn't make him like the best wrestler, you know. And, and like Walter is much better than that in ring wise like i said and he has it there but he just didn't really do it that often in in places outside of wxw i mean realistically in in the other places while he got over and he had great matches he did the walter match he did the touring walter match everywhere so i don't hate it and i don't hate him for it but it doesn't i don't think that it like makes a wrestler of the decade case to be like a touring attraction guy even if it does get over and even if it is like entertaining it's like I said, it's like pretty one note and like, he's very good at it, but it's like blatantly one note. He's great. I think that he's phenomenal at what he does and he's an attraction, but like, yeah, he's not a, he's not going to make it onto my top 10 with that. All right. We can move, we can move, we can move on to, uh, <laughs> your, your number nine then, right? Uh, yeah. My number nine is, uh, Sammy Zayn, which I know you had earlier. Uh yeah, significantly lower despite you know being the best baby face of all time. I had him at thirty four. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, starts out the decade. Another one like when I talked about Claudio, starts out the decade as in the conversation for the best wrestler in the world. Um. I, I would say tw- I would say twenty twelve. He's a wrestler of the year. Yeah. I, I feel I feel pretty confident. Yes, in that. but I'm saying twenty ten. He's in the conversation for probably top five. Twenty eleven. Even better, maybe top three, 2012, I think a lot of people agree, wrestler of the year. Um, and then, obviously, the little bit of 2013 that you get outside of WWE, he's still very good. Um, 
and then shows up in WWE, and I think basically everyone expects that it's going to be, like, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a flop. I think, you know, obviously a lot of people who didn't appreciate how good he was, the same people who say that he's the wrestler of the year in 2012 are not the people saying he's going to be a flop in WWE, but I think a lot of the people who were familiar with just El Generico in ROH and the tag team with uh, Kevin Steen, probably thinking, oh, this guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and they only really, and they only really, really like the Steen stuff. Like you're, like you're totally right that a lot of people, they're like, oh, him without a mask. I wonder because maybe because they thought that he was wearing a mask because he's not very charismatic. Right, and the, and people don't appreciate how good of a wrestler he really was if you didn't see a lot of his single stuff. That's the weird thing about that tag team is for as good as he was, I mean, he played babyface in peril, and people didn't give him the credit for how good he was at it. But he was always babyface in peril, so you didn't really see just how good El Generico could be as you would see him as, you know, PWG champ, as you would see him, um, in, you know, in DDT, as you would see him. Yeah. Like, like wrestling for the, the KOD open heavyweight title, like seeing the big singles champion Generico that you never got to see if all you really saw was the Generico tags. Um, I think that those people would be like, yeah, who this guy is going to fucking flop. And then they, then you find out he takes his mask off and everyone's like, what are they thinking? Oh, he looks goofy. And then he becomes the hottest baby face telling like the amazing story of, of not being able to win the championship in NXT. He, he, he legitimized a, a developmental promotion to the point where like, I, and I, like, I think there's so much like, like, you know, WWE tells so much revisionist history, but like, do you I like they like and they were perfectly fine with that being developmental until Sami Zayn and Cesaro went out there and did that two or three falls match. Right after that was the point in which they were like, "Oh wait, hold on here, we they, we we might actually be able to do something kind of, like kind of, like, kind of cool." Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it is like uh, I talked about it with Cesaro. They put it on the map. The two out of three falls match becomes like, "Oh fuck, people are paying attention to this." When it was like online or international just on hulu basically was the only way you could watch it in america stuff like that and then yeah then they do the network special or actually we talked about arrival when we were talking about this but i don't even remember i think it was on the network yeah i think it was one of the it first was, that, that, that was the first thing streamed on, the, on yeah. the network so yeah so they they put that together and then um like that's on the network and then it becomes nxt is the brand on the network people talk about it i think i think that they say that the numbers don't show that nxt was ever really the most popular thing on the network but i don't know if that's true i don't know they could be misquoting something but i think i've heard people try to kind of claim that before so who knows um but yeah he uh he kind of has his uh has his run up to the title having great matches the whole way through crowds love him huge baby face right greatest best baby face of all time and then uh like like you said and then wins the title has his best friend who just showed up that night beat him turn on him take the title from him then it feels like he's like in a slump a little bit i guess you could say after that um he does have like the big match with nakamura that everyone goes crazy for it's not necessarily for me um i i even even the even then the um the the owens matches that we that we did that we did get um cuz um, did we get two let me just might have got that let me got two of them both of them, both of them are really good matches, and I feel like they got looked over because there was better stuff on those cards. But particularly that first title match between them was really good. Yeah, definitely the the title match was great. The storytelling was great, um, and yeah, just just one of the the obviously 
best baby face, best wrestler, all that. Um, and just the way that he was able to convert that into main roster WWE. Unfortunately, we get a couple injuries, take him out here and there, but not, you know, not like an insane, insane amount, but unfortunately it does make it so his, he's got some time off, especially right when he seemed like he was hitting debuts on an injury. But I mean, what's more fucking Sami Zayn than that, really? I mean, <laughs> the guy is like, wait, his wait. entire career has been like that. And, and then and then also, like, you know, they, they like, various things as to why I imagine WWE would not be keen on pushing Sami Zayn, but at various points, you can watch Raw and, and hear how hear how over he is and how excited people are to see him, whether that's, like, versus AJ Styles or versus Seth Rollins. Like, people are really excited to see him. And there would have been something there, and there was something there, but they just didn't care enough to capitalize on that. But in the limited opportunities he did get on the main roster, he had another really good match versus Owens. He became, he, like, he was a good TV worker, like, didn't surprise anybody. And then as a heel... Like he he wound up having a thought a really good match with AJ Styles and everyone was so down in this idea of him as yeah. a heel, but like he can do it. You just have to let him go out there and wrestle. Just all you have to just all you have to do. But like even with like what really what really amounts to like I guess five I guess five I guess five years um five years and five years and some change of being treated uh seriously and then the re- and then the rest of it, it being kind of off being kind of off and on and hidden gems. Like he's the most impactful baby. Fa- he's the second most impactful baby face of the decade. I'll say like yeah. the best baby face of all time on like a, in like a continued duration. But as far as impact on the decade, clearly easily the second, the second best baby face of the decade. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, even you talked about hidden gems and stuff like that, but he's also got like some miracle worker stuff. Like, the the feud with Braun Strowman where he had like decent matches yeah. with Braun Strowman. like he still shows off just how good he actually can be even while in the WWE when they do give him shots here and there and you talked about it but like the AJ match um, and and yeah tons of tons of still really quality stuff from him while in WWE and not being a focus unfortunately you know that's just uh, okay oh, and, and it's like again like his his runs a testament to the is a testament to just like why you should like why there's a certain level of respect that should go for the to the El Generico work. Like you see the heights he reached and the passionate promos and the emotion that he showed on his face without the mask. And it, like it really should make you appreciate how good he was conveying all those same things while being under the goofy El Generico gimmick, which is why I call him the best babyface of all time. That yeah, the Sami Zayn work is incredible, but you're not appreciating how good he was taking this shitty gimmick called being the generic luchador and making it so gripping and heartfelt and enthralling when he was in, when he in like how good it felt to see him win, how bad you felt when you saw him lose and doing that was such like, again, a stupid gimmick. Yeah. A stupid, probably throwaway gimmick that was only meant to be like while he was getting reps in as, you know, as a kid and then take that off and pivot to something real once you get good. Um, and then, yeah, but it just, he's so good so quickly that it just sticks and it like becomes something. Like I said, you, I the, imagine the idea that, that he was like a world traveled champion. I mean, he won the title, he won the, the title for DDT, he won the title for WXW, he won the PWG title. Like he's winning championships in all these places that are not his homeland, not his home country, not his should, home country. Should have, should have, should have, should have been our way champion at some point. Honestly, he could have. Yeah. He got that TV title run that was great, but yeah, they should have given him the, the world title. He deserved it. But yeah, it's like this goofy cartoon gimmick in, in the 2010s and you know, 2000s. Obviously, we're talking about the 2010s here, but 
gets treated with respect in all of these places where realistically they shouldn't even give him the time of day. It's it's a testament to, as you said, how quickly you can get invested in the guy um, emotionally, even if like it's stupid. Once he starts wrestling, all the stupidity goes out the window. Um, so yeah, that's a that's the Sami Zayn. El Generico. All right. Um. All right, my number eight, someone you haven't said yet, but I know someone you kind of have, like, uh, wavering opinions on, but my number eight is Tomohiro Ishii. I did not, I did not get Ishii on, and um, I get it, and he's great, and he's been great for a long time, but, yeah, he's just... Yeah, I, yeah, I know he's not, not, really your, not really your thing, never really, never really has been your thing. Yeah, I think that he's had matches with people like Shibata, who I love, Naito, you know, he's had great matches with all people that I have on my list, basically, um, and then I think that, like, while he's very good, just not, he's just never really been my thing. I, I, I respect him, and I think that he's good, and he has entertaining matches, but it's just, it's hard for me to think of him as a great, great wrestler. Um, you know, someone who I feel like even, like, just isn't appreciated and appreciated by like people like oh, love him like you know like the Meltzer the Meltzer Meltzer VOW people like you know Ishii the rest of the rest of the year every year kind of people like of course they love him but people like you know me and even you people that like we're friends with like don't even like appreciate how good this guy is sometimes or how like magical this kind of whole like run is that he's had in the 2010s is because we saw someone really come from like the lower card, like the bottom of the card, really, and work his way into being protected, IWGP title shots, uh, you know, challenge, challenge, challenger for all these belts, tag champ, whatever it is, uh, attraction, attraction in the U.S. and in the U.K. One of the most beloved figures of this boom period of the new Japan, of New Japan in the 2010s, and. Is this short little what fucking five about five six guy five yeah. seven guy going out there and face, going out there and facing people with his hot with his high with his high waisted uh with his high waisted trunks and his and his and his, and his power lifter belt and he just looks fucking goofy he looks so stupid but you go out there and you watch him and you see how serious he is how much he wants it and how much that like grips you and is like you can't you can't get enough of it and i was someone that like i was even kind of getting sick of ishia points is repetitive is this or that but it's like that's not his fault that's more that's more that's more of a booking thing when you look at ishii he gives you everything that you want out of a wrestler you believe him you believe how you believe how much he wants it you believe you believe how much this stuff means to him how much he wants to go out there and kick someone's ass we talk, we talk, we talk about that with Thatcher, but like Ishii, one of the most underrated sellers ever. The main selling point of Ishii isn't the fact that he hits hard, isn't isn't the fact of like him doing cool moves or doing whatever. It's the fact that he sells so well that you want to see this guy win. That's the that's the main point that you take away from Ishii is that you want to see him win, and that comes from his selling. That comes from him, you know, wanting to fight, fighting against the people that are above him that are these like gods of the promotion whether whether that's Tanahashi whether that's Okada whether that's Nakamura and being the one guy that's not afraid to punch them in the face and not give a fuck and doesn't it doesn't care who they are doesn't care how many titles they've won doesn't care what they're holding right now I am gonna hit you in the face as hard as I can because I want to win I, I don't care who you are 
And that attitude is just so it, it just it just takes a, it takes a hold of you. And he does that throughout the entire decade. This working man's working man's wrestler that's spent his that spent that spent his career. You know, he's always been good. Oh, I said that he's always been a good wrestler. If you go find early Ishii from like whatever year you want to jump to, Ishii's always been good. But to have but the but to be in this perfect situation where you see like all these pretty boys, Tanahashi with his long hair, Okada the Rainmaker with his long robe, with, with his long robe, Nakamura the rock star, uh, to see to see a night to see a Naito, everybody and all all this shit, Kota Ibushi, and. Here is this guy who just doesn't give a fuck about any of that, and that and like he's like the perfect like balancing act of the promotion. And yeah, he's not someone that's in title contention, someone that's never been to be a title threat, someone that's never gonna make event at Tokyo Dome, win a G1, whatever. But when you place him in these tournaments, give him a title shot, make him a make him a filler for you for somebody, it grounds them to a level that you don't really see people get grounded to when they're such big stars. When Tanahashi faces him, he thinks he's so much better than Ishii, but then Ishii beats him. Ishii can beat him. He has to fight for his life to beat Ishii. He feels like he just escaped for his life beating Ishii. It's all so believable. He has, like again, the G1 MVP for how many years in a row? How consistently? Even Togi Makabe, for God's sake. <laughs> the last good Togi Makabe matches. That, that's him. Tomoaki Hanma. Start that Tomoaki Hanma is never going to touch again in his career. That's that's Ishii. Some of the best stuff from Nakamura, Tanahashi, Okada, Shibata, uh, Goto. Like the like Goto shit that's like, you know, Goto, Goto hasn't touched since then. Like, he does that so constantly. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, Kenta, um, everybody that you can think of. He went and did that. And then he can go over to ROH, you know, long overdue, but go over there in ROH, win the TV title. And... And like him, like that feels important. Roderick Strong, Roderick Strong versus Ishii. I feel like it was a super underrated thing. Uh, going to the U, going going to the UK. We're getting and we're getting Chris Hero, and we're getting Chris Hero versus Ishii. Like he became so iconic, just going out there and being the guy that just fucks everything up. He is not here to be part of your like idol show and stand there and take pretty pictures. He is here to just cause as much chaos for for like for like for like for these people who think they're so much above everybody else and yeah it might it might lose its luster it's ichi then got more popular got more protected won more matches uh and all that stuff but I, i get it i was in that same boat but when you watch him beat tanahashi when you watch him beat naito when you watch him beat okada when you watch him beat kenny omega like that stuff doesn't get old. That stuff fe- still feels magical. And no matter how much Ishii wins, it's you still see someone dis- dismiss him, disrespect him just enough as to where you forget how much he's actually won, how much he's been able to achieve, how much he's actually been moved up the card. And you go back to the point like you were in 2012 or 2013 where you just want to see this little weirdo win a, win a match. And... I think Ishii did that all decade, and that's why he winds up being right here for me at number eight. Some people might be it might be your number one, uh, but number eight is where he feels right for me, and uh, that's all I got on him. And yeah, I mean, everything you say there, and the way that I've kind of looked at him over the years, I kind of I regret it honestly. If I'm perfectly honest right now, just thinking about it, like I just don't respect short people. I can't help it. 
I've never <laughs> respected short people. And I'm allowed to do that because my dad was a short, so I am part short. Um, so I'm allowed to be bigoted against them. Um, no, I mean, realistically, if I'm perfectly honest, my kind of my psychology, my understanding of wrestling and what it should be like has shifted over the years in some ways. And one of the major things that I always had an issue with was like, and I think I got worked if I'm perfectly honest. I think I've been worked for a very long time and I'm not too big of a man to admit it, but that, that wrestling should be a work and should be cooperative and should be light. And Ishii was so good that he really made me think that he was going out there and stiffing people and being unprofessional. And when I look back on it now, I come to realize I was wrong. And like my opinion of him was colored in a lot of ways by that. And I'll admit that. So making this list, I probably should have got him on the list. But unfortunately, it's like I don't have those memories that you're talking about and that connection with him because at the time, contemporaneously with all of this stuff happening, I, I just respected Ishii because I thought that he was being, you know, not doing wrestling the way that I think that you should, which is like being as getting as much effectiveness as you can while being as safe as possible. And I thought he was doing the opposite. Now I've kind of adapted and I've realized over the years that like you as a wrestling fan, you can't say that. I don't fucking know. I can't say who's actually stiff and who's not because I don't know because some people are just really good at working. <laughs> and I think I got worked by Ishii and it, and it fucked up my opinion, my opinion of him for a long time. Looking back on it, I think he's probably better than he, than I gave him credit for. And he probably deserves to be as high as you have him here on the list and possibly even higher, as you said. Um, so I apologize for that. I guess I'll admit, uh, I'll, I'll admit my shortcomings there. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know what it is? Like, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, Again, like when I list like like Ishii's qualities, it seems like someone that again, like yeah, okay, like you like like you like Eddie Kingston, right? You know what, right. You know what I mean? Like like it seems like it seems like if like you're like when you're such a big Eddie Kingston guy, that there should be some kind of correlation between like Eddie Kingston and like his appeal, and then like and then Ishii. Right, but Kingston's tall, so you have to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> they both look like bowling balls, though. Only you know Kingston's just in the middle. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm wrong. I I will 100% admit that I'm wrong on Ishii and that I, sh I should take the time to go back and reappreciate some of his big matches from throughout the decade that I didn't appreciate as much at the time um, because I, I can appreciate now. And unfortunately, it's like now watching him, like currently he's not at the level that he was anymore. I mean, he's not bad, but everyone's going to slow down over time and the guy is, what, pushing 50? Um, so. uh, yeah, for, yeah for 40, 45, but I still think like... Even now, I honestly still think it's not that Ishii slowed down. I really, I'm really, I really don't believe that. I really do think it's just like, again, if you want to look back at like the kind of like the formulaic aspect of it, like I feel like the formula may have gotten may have gotten like you know, uh, I guess not as good. But when I, but when I look at like things that like things that um like again like Ishii's last couple of years, like he still has matches that are near the top of like my like separate like excuse me like separate like. New Japan match of the year tracker or like my highest rated New Japan matches like he's cost he's constantly near near the top of that so whenever I, and I've heard people like other people say that and I can see where it comes from but then when I go and look at and it is all entirely subjective but when then when I go and actually look at like the stuff that I keep track of Ishii's always on my list like I go back and look at 2019 like uh the uh, Ishii versus Okada match from New, from New Japan Cup, Jay White versus Ishii from the G1, or Moxie ver or Moxie versus Ishii from the, from the G1, or I go or I go back and I think about uh, some of the, some of the stuff from 2018, and like it was uh like that that, that Kenny Omega versus Ishii Kenny Omega versus Ishii match from the from the G1, and there's like more stuff like that where it's like man like I get it 
just because the formula is uh it just is what it is and it can be derivative and it can lose a spark of that whole underdog story can lose a spark as time goes on or like these big like pissing contest matches just hitting the shit out of each other and no selling can like lose their spark but like i don't think that's ishii slowing down sure sure i mean that's that's probably fair and i think that you talked about you said derivative there and that's probably the right word to use but in the context of that like of anyone in the 2010s i think that the ishii the thing that was ishii's formula and and style is the thing that has become super in vogue the most. I mean, the, the Ishii style and formula has been adopted by so many people around the world. I mean, so much so that you see stuff that's derivative of Ishii matches from the early 2010s in WWE, even at this point. And, I mean, talked about we're talking about the Walter formula. I mean, you talk about the underdog formula of Ishii. Like, what is the Walter match but, like, that underdog formula with just other people playing the Ishii role and, and Walter playing the, the guy dueling out the punishment. So, yeah, I mean, that's another thing when you talk about his formula becoming repetitive. It's not even just that it's him, but it's that how many people ended up copying his style and are doing, like, a, a bad version of it. Um, so, yeah, again, a guy that I, I think I think that I will do some kind of... Maybe I should that should be my thing. I should do an Ishii project. Um, and I should kind of go about just looking back on some of his, his career and, and maybe readjusting my opinion on the guy. Um, my number eight, you haven't said yet, which I think may, might mean is possible that you just don't have him, is Kevin Steen. Yeah, didn't, didn't have him. Uh, just real, really weird. And like when you see, when you see like how low I had uh, uh, Sammy, like, yeah, I was, it was, it was going to be even harder to have Kevin. Sure. I mean, I have him higher, just one spot, but um, realistically, I mean, that's because once they both get to WWE, their careers are entwined, but Kevin has a ton of stuff before that, or not a ton, but a little bit more just because of it taking longer for him to get signed. And then also having like, Two PWG title runs and the big ROH title run, which I think is like one of the better title runs of the 2000s. Um, so tons of yeah, great I'll matches agree. there. Um, Kevin also has actually, honestly, has a little bit better, more like stuff to lot his career in the WWE once he gets there. Um, not just in NXT, but also kind of even more on the on the main roster. Um, like Kevin has a ton more high end stuff, like being a guy who can mix it up with someone like Roman Reigns and have great matches, AJ Styles, just just like like um, Sami Zayn does. But, I mean, I think Sami Zayn probably could have good matches with Roman, but they don't give him the chance to. And Kevin has them, you know what I mean? So it's like, he's had matches, great matches with, like, Neville, uh, Cesaro, AJ Styles, like, a bunch of people, right? So, like, he just, unfortunately, like, has been a lot more featured and had a lot better chance to go out there and wrestle. Um... But yeah, like I said, the uh, the ROH title run, I mean, it's some of the most, to me, compelling emotionally stuff. Um, obviously, maybe the character and the the kind of edgelord online-ness of the Kevin Steen character doesn't, like, maybe it'd be a little bit cringe looking back on it at this point, um, and kind of doing what people would refer to as bad stand-up comedy throughout his matches and stuff. But at the time, I mean, it was, to me, it was like relatable intriguing i was into it you know what i mean so i just i really bought into all of that a guy who could really work with anybody um so yeah i mean just all arounder great talker really draws you into his matches emotionally babyface heel uh, can work can be domineering on top violent can 
be you know um, sympathetic underdog getting beat up can work guys bigger smaller you know has the the great stuff with uh, Tozawa in PWG the match against him and the tag team which are both awesome you know like to me just someone who can who can really do everything be entertaining and intriguing throughout everything tons of personality very, very versatile more than like people like will give him credit for because he's most known for being the heel but like I think his best like some a couple of his best performances were him being uh again being in peril I remember a, a Chris Hero match from uh Kurt come from uh, Kurt Russell Union yes where he's where he's selling his he's selling his leg uh super well throughout that and then that DDT and then that DDT four final with him and with him and Generico versus the Bucks and the performance he gives there and like those are those are two face and peril face and peril performances that he gives and again like his versatility. Doesn't really give it doesn't really get get as much credit as it should. Yeah, and you talk about, but even something as dumb as like his uh, his physical, like his weight and his inch, like his uh, in shapeness, like will play into his matches too. Like when he's at his worst and he's like super overweight and his knees are giving him problems, probably from carrying so much weight and all that. Like that gets played into his character and played into his matches and as part of his weakness and why you know why he's able to like you said get exploited uh with the legs getting worked over and him getting taken over and when he's kind of going off the deep end mentally physically everything like like one of the most let's say like all around cerebral characters and not like in the like oh he's like witty and and coming up with plans but like the idea that like his psychology and where he's at mentally plays and his mood plays so much into his in-ring character you can have him go from being like like i said like out of shape fat depressed and you know gets his ass kicked all the time to like manic like crazy violent beast who who can't be stopped to like jovial and fun and having fun and like you talked about the aj styles young bucks kind of matches but when you have the um the Kevin the Steen, Mount Rushmore, yeah. Mount Rushmore, Kevin Steen, Young Bucks, you get some of that too. Like the Young Bucks, I heard it described somewhere once, and the best way that I could say is like the Young Bucks are like, um, like psychologically depraved, like uh, preteen children, basically. They're like like middle schoolers who like torture ants and and lizards and stuff. Like that's their, and you get a little bit of that like like psychotic nature plays off into Steen, but like Steen's a man. So it's like these like weirdly aggressive, don't know the the kind of the the re- repercussions of their actions. Kids were rubbing off on this grown man who does know the repercussions of his actions, but also kind of knows how to be even more like violent and and scary and so much so that even they get scared of him when he's on their side. Like that kind of stuff comes out. So yeah, I just think the cerebral nature of Kevin Steen, where you can see all the different facets, but the through line is that he's always Kevin Steen no matter what's going on. He's a guy who gets his character. He's always 100% authentically his character. And that's why he can do stuff like be great on commentary. You know, like, like because he knows who he is and he does it. Not just in PWG great on commentary, but on WWE TV can help push angles and storylines and stuff by doing guest commentator roles. Like, when he would just be on commentary in NXT, like, half the time those would be the best fucking episodes just from him being on commentary like the matches would be better from him doing the commentary because even if he's not like a great textbook commentator like the character and the storyline and, and the stuff that he's doing would help make it so just a guy who can, can get the most out of anybody because his matches don't have to be wrestling matches but he can do them he can do the, the crazy spot all over the place stuff 
but uh, he can also like work with anybody no matter how limited they are and then he can do the crazy diving off the fucking titan tron at wrestlemania type shit like he can he can go all out he had a great match with uh shane mcmahon which you know not everybody does so gotta give the guy some credit yeah again like like a lot of the th- a lot of this too i imagine um i'm not sure how much for you but like you can't like there are certain people that you can't talk about the 20 you can't mention yes. the 2010s without mentioning kevin steen you can't mention the 2010s without mentioning el generico um, and I, and I noticed you have a who you have a, who who you have above uh, both of them, but again, like you're like a lot of this is who like defines defines the twenty tens for you, and like despite what the WWE run might have turned into and what it might like you know end up like end off of eventually, when you look at what Kevin Steen meant to the uh, non WWE wrestling landscape and how impactful it was when he signed in the ripple effects that sent through the entire company, not just NXT, he sent ripple effects to the entire company and like how, and like how, and how that, and how that was received. You can't talk about the 2010s without Kevin Steen. And he has the work to back it up to. It's not just popularity, not just buzz, not just, not just all that is his work backs up, backs it all up. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it, but the Kevin Steen show in the past, we've talked about like the Kevin Steen show and the selling the merch and the, and uh, even the YouTube vlogs that he was doing before, like the Kevin Steen show on um, high spots, like, or was it smart Mark? I can't, I think he was high spots. Um, but like all of that stuff ends up like turning into an entire fucking like industry that is like, you know, give some credit to Colt Cabana as well, but Colt Cabana doesn't make it on my list because he doesn't have the work, like you said, he doesn't have the other side of it as well throughout the decade. Or or, 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 or or even, like, you know, how big something like Kevin Steen versus Shinsuke Nakamura was when it happened. Like, that being, like, the defining match that, like, set up the whole, like, New Japan and ROH connection and made it such a cool thing to see. Like, like Kevin Steen is a part of that. And, yeah, that didn't turn into Kevin Steen getting a New Japan run because, obviously, he wanted, he wanted to sign with WWE. But, like, Kevin Steen in the part that he played in, like, bridging that gap... That like that like that match alone is a big part of that. Yeah, I think that those the ROH New Japan early on War of the Worlds shows I think have gotten lost to time. But that's a good point to mention that like New Japan's expansion into the West and being popular in America, a lot of that was based in that because people were watching New Japan, but there was a lot of people who weren't, and there's a lot of people who weren't going out of their way to check out New Japan. And then when ROH started bringing those guys over, that like did help make our or New Japan a big name. And that match that was like. I don't know if it was a dream match on paper to people, but when you saw the personalities get in there, I think even if on paper you weren't excited for it, I think seeing the match, you really enjoyed it because the personalities clashed and then, you know, they did some spots around it, but the real story was again, the personalities clashing. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point to mention as well. All right. Uh, so my number, my number seven, I know you have a, I know you have higher, but my number seven, Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, obviously, it's only we're in the top ten, so everybody's going to be just a little bit. Um, my number seven, I'm, I'm going to guess you just don't have, um, and I can definitely see why. Uh, my number seven is Jonathan Gresham. No, I had Gresham at seventeen. Oh, you did? Okay, I don't, even, I didn't even remember. Um, so yeah, I mean, the thing about Gresham is that he's the best test technical wrestler on the planet. Um, Anybody, or I'll say at least one person, and it'll be pretty easy for people to know, like one of the few people who I claim would claim to be better than him or in his level, like repeatedly tells me, no, Gresham is actually the best. Um, So can't argue with it, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Gresham from the early 2010s, I mean, it's already 
when we started the decade, it's pretty much there. Um, he's a little bit more of a high flyer and slowly settles into being primarily mat based, pulling out a few high playing spots throughout the decade. But in the beginning, realistically, the only thing he's done over this decade is like tweak his presentation, his look, his character, um, and that whole vibe. And honestly, right now, I think he's the best that he's ever been when it comes to all of that. He's put it together to where he has a presentation that, that really works and he comes across like a star. Um, he had some like growing pains throughout the decade, but from jump, I mean, when 2010 starts, this guy is in the conversation as the best technical wrestler on the planet and uh, just gets better over time. Um, his attention to detail, his mastery of the craft is beautiful. Um, it doesn't matter who he's working against. It doesn't matter what the setting is, what he's doing. Um, I think that anyone, even people who don't like mat-based wrestling, people who talk that way, get drawn in by what he does. Um, he's just... He's just, yeah, just that good at being able to, like, get everyone's attention pretty much instantly. He, it's interesting to think, like, he goes around and he does, like, he goes to Japan and he gets some training and, you know, gets better and comes back. And then he kind of, like, takes that knowledge and spreads it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of that he does in, in the UK. And obviously he's learning while he's teaching, but he becomes, like, a, like, a godfather of what then became the UK indie boom later in the decade that me and you both like kind of shared a passion for when it was still worthwhile. But like people talk about Chris Hero and the WXW stuff, but Gresham did a lot of the same things and people kind of overlook it, but him showing up in places like Flight Club Pro, SWE, PCW, all of that stuff early in the 2010s and kind of really helped build up a lot of people, build people's career and spread and like make the scene bigger and better um, off of his back. Um, and yeah, just realistically, yeah, like I said, like the best technical wrestler probably in the world, like for most of the decade. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's something that I personally really value. So that's why I have him this high. Uh, again, Gresham is, you can find any random Gresham match and that can be like versus the elite of the elite versus a random scrub from some like some from some random town in Pennsylvania. Jonathan Gresham is gonna be good in that match and he's gonna make it watchable. And you know, I'm glad he turned his career around because like again, like he could have been a case like a Cesaro, like a Fred Yehai, Speedball, and like numerous others that have been on this list that we've had this conversation about. But he could have been someone that just never got their due from professional wrestling because of well, look at Jonathan Gresham. Look at how small he is. Like there'd have been there's so much going against going against this guy but he is ridiculously good at what he does and it makes people like a jay lethal want to go work with him it makes someone like a zack saber jr want to go put it want to go put him over clean as clean as a sheet in threes and three separate matches like that speaks to the level of talent and you know you talk about gresham like applying like taking what he's learned and like you know um you know, like, you know, taking those lessons and, like, you know, giving that to other people, whether that was in Fight Club Pro, whether that was, you know, like a Jay Skillet in WXW, he also learned certain things and applied them to himself. Like, he definitely invested in, invested into himself and gave himself a character, a persona, an act, something to gravitate to, something that, something that stood out and started to carry himself like a star as well. So, like, not only was he, like, an elite, elite, elite wrestler that like paid attention to all the little details could master every style tag team singles 
high flying Yahweh technical mat stuff, even mixing mix in some MMA influence, fast paced, slower paced, go long, sprint, whatever you want. He has he can do all of it, but he also made was able to prevent to start presenting himself as a big deal, and that's the main thing now. And you can't deny him, and you can't deny him because he's like earned that aura. He's created that aura for himself, like not only the master of the craft, but like. When you watch him, there's a certain gravitas that comes along with that now, too. Uh, and I'm glad for Gresham because he's earned that moniker. He's very, he's like more than worthy of being called that. And I'm glad that he like found a way to apply that and make him make him make himself feel like a star because look, the Lord knows like he has one. Yeah. The foundation is such an apt, like I know it became the faction, but I thought initially it was Jonathan Gresham was the foundation, and it is. It's like he is. The foundation in that, like, the backs... Well, I mean, in the way that a lot of people have learned from over the years, but also in the back that, like, from the bottom floor built up to where he is, like, he's solid. Rock solid. Like, the foundation that you can build the entire industry on if you wanted to. That's how good he is. You know what I mean? The guy's the guy is the base. He is solid through and through. All right. My number six is Kenny Omega. I had Kenny Omega at number ten. All right, so, uh, so some people might not be aware, but uh, Kenny Omega has been good before was good before twenty seventeen. Tim, I'm not sure if you're I'm not uh, sure if you're aware of that. Okay, because I was I was basing this off of only post. Actually, I put him here just based on AEW work. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Omega was a good wrestler before he was you know before Dave Meltzer gave him six stars. <laughs> um, and you know, that goes from his ROH and PWG work, even if it's limited because he then went DDT full time. His ROH work is very good. Like, he's got for, good for stuff instance, even just, before that, like JAPW and stuff. Like he's got yeah, really yeah, he, good yeah, stuff. He's always been, yeah. Um like particularly I went back and watched like this like I was watching Death Before Dishonor from twenty ten. Amazing show. Great, great show from top to bottom, right? And on it is this Kenny Omega versus Christopher Daniels match. Now, it was 2010 Christopher Daniels and 2010 Kenny Omega. So, like, you know, I know Omega's good. I know that Daniels is good. But I'm not expecting something that's going to be, like, fucking incredible. Lo and behold, this match is, like, amazing. It's a ridiculously good match. And, like, that's a lot of Kenny Omega's work. Like, a lot of it, some of it longer. This is uh, Austin Aries' second reign, I believe, at the time. Um, and, like, I guess, like, the Austin Aries, Davey, uh, the Tyler situation going on. But... No, 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 Austin Aries, yeah, Austin Aries, fucking, whatever, whatever, whatever the lineage it was, I think Dave, like, yeah, Austin Aries, Tyler Davey, and there's that going on, but Kenny Omega was having good matches with everybody at that point in time, or during that ROH HG Net era, and it doesn't get looked back on fondly for some reason, but when you go look back, look back at that from, like, I guess, like, even Aries, the Daniels match, I'm pretty sure there's a Roddy match in there, like, there's a hero match, Omega, that's amazing, yeah, like Omega's really good, and then you even want to go to you want to extend you want to extend that to to Bola. His Bola run in twenty ten is ridiculous, and that culminated and that culminated in that like, uh, and that and that uh, I'm not sure that I'm not sure if that was I'm not sure if that was twenty ten. Do you that, that that vacant title Bola was that twenty ten? Uh, was that like the end of two thousand nine? Trying to think, I think yeah, it was two thousand nine. Oh, actually, okay, but yes, two thousand nine. Okay, like, so maybe not the bowler run, but even like that Davy Richards PWG title match. Yeah. Like, that's 
a great fucking match. That's really good. That's like that. Like that's incredible stuff that Kenny that, that Kenny that Kenny was out there doing. And that's years, but and that's years and years before we're getting we're getting to this point where Kenny Omega is getting revered as like the best wrestler in the world by some by someone like Dave Meltzer. So I say all that to be clear. Like Kenny Omega has been a really good wrestler for a long, <laughs> long time. So like. Yeah, he has his peaks. Yeah, it's the Okada stuff. Uh, Ish is Ishi. Um, it's going is going is going out there and having great having great G ones. It's the night is the it's the Naito matches. It's the Tanahashi Dome match. Uh, it's all it's all that shit, right? But it's more than that. We're talking about someone that was a great tag team wrestler, the Golden Lovers. Count like you know countless. Great, 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 uh, great, great matches there with them, with them, with them as a team. Kenny Omega vs. Kota Ibushi at Budokan, and how big of a deal that was to see a company like DDT in 2012 run Budokan Hall. That's a huge deal. That's a that's that's an, that's an incredible thing. Seeing Ken, like Kenny's like uh, Kenny's Jun, Kenny's Junior run in 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 all Japan and and his matches versus people, versus people like versus people like Hiroshi Yamato and Kai. Uh, uh, the, the the little bit of new Japan, new Japan stuff he would get that like wasn't uh that was before that was before his official signing like facing up like facing Apollo fifty five in the other uh, best of the Super Juniors uh, tournaments that he that he'd be in in the matches in the matches he'd have with in the matches he'd have with Devitt. This is a guy that constantly was good in everything that he did, and you you have uh the oh, the, the generical match in which he finally in which he finally wins. Uh, the, the the DDT uh, open weight title, the Hiroshima title match, the Irie title switch, which is a which is a career performance from Kenny, one of his best performances of all time, and then you get the New Japan run when he when he when he joins full time. A lot of people look back on it, and it's blind. I get it. The Taguchi matches aren't good. Like I think, but I think me me and you can both agree on that, right? Like the the, the Taguchi matches suck. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's all right, but like. Everything after that that the dude does versus Kushida versus uh, versus Alex Shelley versus Mascara Dorada like the guy has good matches. His best of the Super Junior stuff was good. Like it's not like this terrible like dog like dog shit run that people like acted like it was. It was a, it was a guy clearly biding his time and biding you know whatever before like the big push came. But the guy was good. The guy was very good, and then once the leash, and then once the leash just taken off, obviously is off to the races, and you have him win the win the Intercontinental Title from Tanahashi in a really good match. The uh, uh, Tanahashi gets hurt, and you and he gets and uh, Michael Elgin has to fill in, and, and those Elgin matches are good. The latter match, like is iffy, but other than that, like the uh, title, the title, the title, the first title match, the stuff in the G one that they've had, like they had good matches. Kenny, Kenny Omega goes and has the G1 performances. The Naito match sets the world on fire and just shocks everyone as Naito was almost like a lock to go and win, go and win the G1 that year. And then it's Omega. And then we all know the rest of the story. Six stars. The Okada, the Okada, the Okada stuff. He eventually he eventually wins the belt. Ishii matches. Uh him getting people getting mad at him for various different things some right <laughs> some, some rightfully some rightfully and then some people just getting worked uh and then it all and then it all ending with the with the Tana, with the Tanahashi dome match and then the little and then the little bit uh of a of aw stuff that we do that we do get but we're looking at a wrestler that like literally from the beginning of this 
in twenty in twenty ten was already great and ended it in twenty nineteen still great. And like he's someone that like you go and look at this, there's not many misses. There's not like some like monumentally bad shit to go to go out there and pick from this. It's a guy that from great singles, great main events, great tag team, whatever you want, this guy did it. And you might not like Kenny Omega because of his facial expressions and whatever else is too much for you, but this guy, in my opinion, was a great wrestler from beginning to end this decade. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, like, huge, huge star, major draw. You talked about the DDT stuff, but it's like even before he got into New Japan, he was already a major star in Japan and a huge draw. So, like, arguments about that kind of that side of things, the business side of things, don't hold any water. Um, and and one of probably out of all the people on the lists and all the people on both of our lists going through here, like the most consistent for the entire decade decade when it comes to like having matches, no like long layoffs ever, no real time off in general. He's not in between gigs ever. He's not, you know, he doesn't realistically. No, oh, go ahead. Not 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 does I say not 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 in a position where he where like he's like in somewhere where they don't let him wrestle either. Yeah, he's not uh, not ever really in a place. the The least amount of matches he has is once he joins AEW basically, and he's in a company where he's a partial vice president. But up until that point, he's having tons of matches and really knocking it out of the park the whole way through. So he's got he's really got a giant resume if you look at the entirety of the 2010s. Um, like goes all over the place big star everywhere important everywhere no matter where he shows up uh he's gonna knock it out of the park i mean you didn't even mention it but like the all japan junior title run is great like he's got tons of great stuff um and and yeah i mean just just one of the best i mean you you said it there i mean the guy is phenomenal throughout the entire decade um tons and possibly i think maybe we've already seen his peak physically but we may have not even seen his peak as a wrestler yet which is crazy to think about but we'll see where it goes from here because if he can start to put stuff together and work a little bit smarter like you could see this guy like yeah becoming and they say just a little bit like he's already he's he's great and he puts together great matches but he works his style and i mean again it's it kind of even goes back into like a similar thing i was saying about the walter he works a style that people want to see so who knows but and, 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 not, and not just that works it works on style people people want to mimic too. right people like want to see him and want to be him yes and he's yeah he's a gigantic star multi multi-continental star and yeah i mean I've been thinking about it because people in the the GWE conversation have brought it up a little bit, like the the Walter thing, and you you compared it or not Walter Vader thing, and like being able to pop him in anywhere and all this. But if there's anybody who comes close to being a champion on as many continents all at the same time, it's Omega. <laughs> like it's kind of funny to think about that, and I bet it would drive some people crazy. But if you really wanted to talk about like a modern 2000, you know, 2010, 2020, like Vader, it's Kenny Omega because he's the guy who you can throw him anywhere and he works and the crowds get into him and his style fits no matter where it's at. Part of that is how much like the wrestling landscape has changed. But part of it is like the way that he wrestles is like entertaining no matter what, where you're from, what country you're in, whatever. Like if you see the stuff that Omega does, you get it instantly. You don't really need to know any of the background to understand what the fuck is going on. And he's a huge star and he's, yeah, he's a champion in North America, you know, South America, 
Japan. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe there's something to Kenny Omega being the modern day Vader. Maybe more people should talk about that. Um, even even like <laughs> Simon Simon Simon's gonna fucking hate that bit, um, but like even like we go to like towards the end of the 2018 like in like the 2019 like his 20 his 2018 ends with like that ridiculous tag with him and with him and Ibushi versus Tanahashi and Osprey right like then he goes and faces Tanahashi at the dome amazing match um the Shima, the Shima match the like the the tag the tag with the tag with uh with the Bucks facing uh Laredo Kid and Lucha and the Lucha Brothers and another tag and another tag with them and another tag against them at Triple Mania uh the pack the pack match from from all out in twenty nine in twenty nineteen um the event eventually the, that that tag match with uh I don't remember this but the page but Page and Omega versus Moxley and Pack from twenty nineteen oh yeah and how and how and how crazy that was Kenny uh, Omega versus Phoenix in AAA. Um, the like the lights out match. I'm not sure how much you like the lights I, out. I match, actually but, like, really liked it. I know other people didn't, but I thought it was good. Yeah, like an, an, another pack match, the Dragon Lee match, like, and then and then to end the year that year, he had a, a tag against a tag against the Lucha Brothers teaming with teaming with Adam Page. Like, even in 2019, which you could call his weakest year, like that's still like even when he gets when he's out there and has a chance to wrestle, he's still doing really well. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call 2019 his weakest year. I'd just say he has the least amount of matches. You know what I mean? But, no, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like even if someone to call that his weakest right. year, like look at like look at the matches he's having. No, yeah, I know he's still great there. So, uh, my number six, you haven't said yet, so I guess you just didn't make your list, which I guess is understandable. But Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, no, he's actually my number five. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> talk about him. All right. Um. I mean, what's there to say other than, like, you know, we talk about someone that had, like, a consistent, like, decade from, like, beginning to end, and, like, that's Tanahashi to the to the fullest, to the point where, like, now we're at this point in my list where, like, everybody here has, I consider, for number one. Um, and Tanahashi, for sure, has a case for that. From beginning to end this decade, Tanahashi is there, consistent, present, and just the guy... Making and the guy making everything easier for everybody else. Um, again, like obviously, the 2010s wasn't about him. As Tanahashi was already established in New Japan, so like it was more so using him to uh, to further and get over other people. That makes sense. That's how wrestling works. But Tanahashi, being the glory hound that he is, <laughs> being the person that like. Like oh no I'm so like, I'm still Hiroshi Tanahashi like I'm not gonna sit there and just like get past get past get passed over like that even 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 within that Tanahashi is still fine is still is still finding a way to still be the center of attention in that it's going in 2010 I really I really like the Tetsuya Naito stuff from early from early from early on I know that some people aren't as fond aren't as fond of it but I really enjoy that to see the Tetsuya Naito stuff I think him I think him and Kojima have good chemistry in that G1 in that G1 final and in their uh eventual Tokyo Tokyo Dome match um and yeah I would say like it's probably like, that that's probably like Tanahashi's weakest weakest year weakest year here but it, like when he gets a chance to do something that the Yano, the Yano stuff is good. The Yano stuff is extremely fun. I know people don't like Yano and don't like watching Yano, but that yeah, but that Yano stuff is good. And then after that, once we once we get to the once we get to the point where Tanahashi's ready to move on, and uh, 
gets a, gets another gets other gets the other reign. Twenty eleven, arguably the wrestler of the year that year. Some repeat opponents, but when you have stuff as good as like the Nagata the, the Nagata match, Nakamura, Goto, um, the Suzuki the Suzuki stuff that comes in twenty twelve, all that like it doesn't really matter. Like the dude is great. The dude is awesome, and he's that the entire time. Uh, then obviously the Okada stuff happens. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say too much uh, on that on that right here because obviously there's, there's some there's someone else who's casing off that stuff too. But I would say the best series of matches ever, the best rivalry ever, I would say, and that covers a lot of ground and that is and that's significant here. Someone that doesn't get thought of as being like Mister G One, like someone like a Shibata or Ishi or even an Ibushi might be, but someone that has consistently good G One, someone that's able to get good matches out of someone like a Bad Luck Folly on a consistent basis that are good, um, and every and everything else that this ground covers. He's smart. He's like he, he he's smart. He's different than a lot of people. He doesn't have like super high impact moves. Everything he does is so deliberate and based off of thinking and timing. And that and that and that's just what makes him feel such like such a such a calculated and, cere- and, cere- and cerebral worker. And how it feels like sometimes he's able to outsmart Okada because Okada just is such a hothead and, re- and is relying on sheer athleticism and. The mat work is good. One of his most underrated, one of those underrated aspects. He makes things feel special. He can be a complete asshole and have the entire crowd booing him, or he can make you believe and want to see this old man uh, have one last great run. The Nakamura matches from 2014, a, a super super underrated. I would say. I feel like people usually go towards other stuff from him and point and point that out as his best of work of the decade. Like people, obviously the Okada stuff, people might even say the Naito stuff, but the Nakamura matches are some of Tanahashi's finest work. Uh, and then, and then, and then mentioning the G1 performances he may have against people, against people like Ibushi, Ishii, Hanma, Shibata, AJ Styles is, is a very, is a very underrated opponent of his, uh, someone that didn't really, I, I wouldn't say like, doesn't really have much much of a case outside of that. Like again, like when he get when he came to when he was coming to the states, really the guys that were the stars were Nakamura and Okada, honestly, or AJ Styles, or Kenny Omega, and that's and that's fine, that's okay. But even then, we still got something like the the Roger Strong versus Hiroshi Tanahashi match, which is still really good. Um, Tanahashi. You're not, he's not someone that's he's not busting his ass out on those road two tags. He can have he can have nights where he doesn't where he's you know clearly taking the night off. But in spite of all, in spite of that, which is like a which is like a really small thing, you go from beginning to end this decade, and Tanahashi worked just as hard as anybody, and was a hundred percent effort, and will be damned if he was outshined by anybody anyone told as good as stories as anybody could and did it as a did, did it he did it heel leaning baby face leaning you could love Tanahashi one second and you could want to see him get punched in his face the next and that's something that goes a long way for me and again the ace of new japan did his duties this decade and was right there to steer the ship until okada was ready to go and he was there. He was there for one last victory. Victory run, having one of the best matches of the year versus Kenny Omega. Despite all, despite the fact that he was ready, to, they were ready to move on from him. 
he still was the right guy and will always be the right guy if you need someone to rely on. Uh, big, big influence in Jay White getting, getting, be, being able to get to uh, the point in which he is now because people, even even if that first dome match against Tanahashi, people blame Jay, which I felt like was pretty unfairly. Everything that they did afterwards, it's like they're they're perfectly made for each other, which is the most which is the funniest thing in the world. But yeah, that's 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 Tanahashi at five. Yeah, I mean, think about Tanahashi. You just you're talking about it there with Jay White. It's always it's up for debate, at least mentally for myself, because one thing that Tanahashi you'll notice is like a common thing with him is that the first match with someone is never as good as the second, the third, fourth. You know, he, he has a learning curve, it seems. But it's also like, is it a learning curve or is it intentional? Is he being, again, one of the smartest wrestlers, the highest IQ wrestlers that exists? Is it about, like, intentionally keeping someone at a certain place first and then building to the great matches I'm, I'm not sure does he need to get in there with someone to learn and understand how to make it work with them it seems like it wouldn't make sense he's so smart and so good you would think that he wouldn't need to actually get in there with someone to figure out how to have a great match with them but sometimes i mean sometimes that's just it who knows but uh, it could be political it could be actually just a natural learning curve thing that he has but it's it goes into the bigger picture and the point of of was saying what I'm saying here about Tanahashi is that he's like one of the smartest wrestlers of all time. And for the 2010s, he's probably the smartest wrestler of the 2010s. Um, he is a wrestling genius to steal a, a nickname from a, a couple of very good wrestlers. Um, he is, yeah, like the, the, the whole nickname for him, what is it, like once in a generation? Like he mm. really is like a once in a generation level mind and talent for wrestling. He is. The epitome of the it, Go ahead. And when he hits, he just hits on such a fucking high level, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the Nakamura, like the Nakamura G one final. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like, yeah, like you forget about that. We go, we kind of like run down his resume of the twenty tens. It's like, holy shit! Like that, that's maybe like the twenty fifteen match of the year. Yeah, I think that was actually my, I think that was actually my twenty fifteen match of the year. Or like even even like the, like the Kenny Dome match and Kenny's and Kenny's last New Japan match. Or any of the Okada matches, or even like how good the Naito series is. Like you kind of like forget certain stuff, and it's like when he hits, he hits on such a ridiculous level that like you know we talk about like you know there's like terms like comfort food wrestling or or like you know wrestlers that kind of just like hit you in your soul. And Tanahashi, like I would say more than anyone that's actually that that's remaining on my list for me, like like that's like he has those moments that just like. Like hit you like a chord hit you like in in, in, a, in a certain spot, and it just resonates with you like throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean there is, there's no one like him. There's really not, and they don't really make him like this anymore. I mean this guy. Again, it's, it's amazing, how good he is as this you know the ace character, the, the big baby face that the crowd loves, the guy who you know throughout the pandemic is like doing self hugs while pointing at the crowd, you know, like, because he can't get a socially distance. So he can't hug the crowd. So he figures out a way to tell them that he wants to hug them. Like the guy just knows, but like the few times that we've seen him work heel ish or work like towards a heel, he's great. It's like unfortunate that we kind of missed out on ever seeing like a big time Tanahashi heel run because he probably would have been great at that too. But 
he simply just does not have bad matches. Like, that's the thing about Tanahashi. You talked about that. You can throw him out there with anyone, and it's just not possible for him to have a bad match. It doesn't matter who he goes up th- out there against because of just how smart he is. I mean, I've seen him having matches where the crowds are just not into it, and by the end of it, they're they're into they're loving it they're going crazy and it's just like a sign of how great of a worker he truly is like it doesn't matter what the situation who he's in there with what's going on he's going to make the best of it and he's going to get the crowd into it and i mean obviously it's gonna i guess you said it's gonna come up it's not just gonna come up later tonight it's gonna come up on your next series when you do the matches of the decade i'm 100 percent sure that the tanahashi okada matches are going to come up and when you think about how great those matches are, you do have to wonder, like, is, <laughs> and, and this is not, I'm not trying to throw shade, but is it that Okada and Tanahashi have that magical spark, or does it go back to what I was saying, that Tanahashi knows when he has to turn it on, and he knew from the beginning that Okada had to be the guy? And does he make sure that him and Okada have the best matches possible, because he knew that he had to give as much as he could to making Okada into the, the next thing. And I don't know that that's not the case. Just based on his track record and how smart he is and how much he cares about making everything work. And yeah, he's a glory hog, but fuck, when this guy gives as much as he has to wrestling and when he is as selfless as he is in general, he's allowed to be a bit of a glory hog when he wants to. Because Tanahashi will lose to anyone. Tanahashi will put anyone over. Tanahashi will make anyone look great. Tanahashi goes out of his way to pick out the people who need to be stars and and do everything he can to try to make them be stars. But like like shit like shit like shit like right now like again this guy is two years off of main eventing the Tokyo Dome and here he is he's about to like feud with Shingo for the Never Title. Yeah. Because the Never Title needs to be elevated. I was just talking you know I mean just mentioned that earlier but the never title is taking the spot as the number two title so he's yeah he sees it and it's he's going to help make that he at the tokyo dome who he fucking wrestled like a guy who just came back from excursion because he needs to be a big star he's selfless he's a glory hog you can call him a glory hog but he's also selfless he loves the attention but that's also because the crowd loves him i'm sorry but tanahashi being a glory hog is good for the show overall like it's not yeah. just him being a glory hog it's that the crowd wants to see him and the crowd wants to love him is you know is he going to take the title if they want to give it to him again sure of course but like when it really comes down to it he's a guy who clearly cares a lot about the wrestling business i mean he does a fucking podcast about wrestling right he does a podcast that he talks about wrestling like this guy cares about wrestling not everybody does that not every wrestler who's an active wrestler at his age it also is so obsessed with wrestling that they still want to talk about it in their time when they're not actually wrestling. And I don't know if he makes money off of it and does all this stuff, but like he cares enough that he wants to invest even more time into wrestling than just like his actual career. The, the, the guy has given his entire life to wrestling and he's got a lot back for it. But realistically, like he's he in some weird ways, you might even say he deserves more like when the 2010s start, the guy is 10 years into his career. He's been wrestling for like a decade. He's in like his mid-30s. And pretty quickly, he hands over the reins to the company, to Okada, and basically takes a back seat. He gets a title win here and there, but he's not really... Sorry. And in, in the history of Japan, that's insane. A guy who's only been wrestling for like a decade and is only in his 30s, mid-30s, giving up the top spot that easily, like that transition that well, and there was not a lot of heat, there was no problems, he put Okada over as much as they wanted, like, that's really kind of unheard of. So it is, 
he is pretty selfless in in the big in the grand scheme of things. All right, uh, are you ready to move on to number five? My number five, uh, I think you had him just a little bit ago, is Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, I had Thatcher at seven. Yeah. Uh, so you can go ahead and uh, expound on our boy. Yeah. Well, when you said that at this point at five for you, everyone had been considered for your top spot. It kind of struck me in a weird way because this doing this project has been odd for me because I've been in that situation. I've been in the situation where I've had a top ten where I thought that everybody could have been number one. But when I look at it, it's like, no. I mean, my number one is my number one solid. There's no question in my mind about who number one is when I started putting the list together. Thatcher was probably the only person that I've ever talked about as a possible number one outside of who my number one is. Um he dropped all the way down to number five here, and that is because of me kind of letting the world and popular opinion and stuff like talk me out of things. But my natural opinion is that Timothy Thatcher was the best wrestler of the 2010s, the person who I liked the most, the person who I was the most personally invested in. But he does not have, I guess you could say he doesn't have a huge resume for the entire decade. I think realistically by 2000 i don't know like 2013 2012 2013 he has a lot of really good work um and stuff that you can point out as like noticeably good um i guess like 2000 yeah like 2012 right um he's got yeah like the apw stuff there's a lot of good stuff to to get into there but it's not like a ton and people are not like super i guess into it in general i don't know whatever um but then you get into kind of he goes into uh showing up in places like by 2014 he's starting to show up and evolve uh get some like pwg czw um beyond obviously is like kind of the big match we talk about like yeah the importance of the decade like i talked about it with that beyond match with biff music feels like a match that like resonates over the history of of the 2010s wrestling um it like becomes like something that like you know the people the people in the slack chats and the people on the internet and the message boards know about and people like kind of talk about it and the beyond secret shows in general have a lot of good stuff there's also a, a Thatcher and Gresham match in 2014 that's really good, but it's, like, not the same level. But that match, I mean, the Biff Busick Beyond match in front of no fans is, like, as good as anything in the entire decade, honestly. Like, I, I, could, I could talk myself into, like, somehow having that as the match of the decade. Like, just the quality of it and everything about it I, I fucking love. For me personally, it's one of the best wrestling matches that I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, it's just this guy, like at his peaks, he's the best wrestler of the entire decade, like hands down, like at, at, at the peak, but how often is he there? Not always, but he rarely is off. Like he doesn't have a lot of bad matches, but I guess he has some, um, every now and then he has like crowds that don't get into him, but we've talked that stuff to death. It almost feels pointless to even bring up at this point. Um, I do have some connection with the like California. He's from Northern California, or I guess, I guess honestly, he's more from Central California. But his wrestling career gets started in Northern California. Um, but I've definitely seen 
him down here in Southern California, even before he was kind of like a big deal. Um, and then started to like see more and more of his stuff from up North and go up there and actually go to APW shows throughout like the, the, the time. And, and so I've been seeing him forever. Premier, the premier wrestling stuff started. I never went to any of those shows, but started watching that stuff on YouTube, like from the beginning and really was in love with all of it. Um, but yeah, like pops up in WXW really quickly um in 2013 and has like two matches and you're just kind of like i i hope this guy like comes back and it takes a few years for him to come back but then like really fits in and becomes like a cornerstone of the promotion by the end um after having the i guess i don't know maybe it's the albatross of the whole thing is the evolve title run right like so many people have so many different opinions on the whole thing um i guess some people think it's bad <laughs> i guess is what i mean to say by that um i personally thought that it was pretty great um i thought that we i mean again we talked to it go go to psychology is dead number one and, and we literally talk about like the big wrestlemania weekend that kind of becomes the story of his title reign and at that time I, I listened to it i listened to it back relatively recently but at the time when we talked about it i even said like how how much he committed to storytelling and talked about it with tanahashi like being selfless being like committed to wrestling loving it being passionate about wrestling and that weekend it was like he was passionate to trying to tell this big overarching story and uh i guess I guess at the time and when people were shitting on it, I was pretty defensive and I think, you know, maybe a little bit bullheaded about it and I wanted to fight with everyone, but I guess you have to just accept it. If popular opinion is that it wasn't very good, then it flopped because the idea is to get people to like it. And I've tried like hell <laughs> to make people like it, but they don't. And we just have to accept that kind of didn't work. It worked for me. I liked it. I thought it was great. I enjoyed that he told a progressive story over the weekend i enjoyed when when catchpoint took the title from him i thought that that was a cool story i thought it made sense because it's specifically because of drew gulak because of how well they were matched up and it's it's kind of funny to get back to drew after how we started this podcast series with me like not even thinking about him and adding him to my list at the last minute but that is the thing it's like he Drew is not necessarily loathsome as the heel going after Thatcher because Drew is just as good as, as Thatcher in a lot of ways. And, and in some ways, Drew is better than Thatcher. So why is Thatcher the guy who gets the opportunities? And why is Thatcher the guy who's the champion? Not only does, like, is Drew just as good as him in a lot of ways, like, Drew is also, like, he actually has friends. And that's, like, the main thing you can point out that Thatcher doesn't have that Drew does. So Drew tries to use that fact to help him get the advantage over Thatcher. And, like, uh, it never really works. Um, so it's like, I don't know, I guess that's the storyline is that, like, even if a heel, like, tries to take advantage of the one thing that they have better than you, you overcome it through, like, sheer force of will or whatever positive attitude thing. Like, I don't know, getting too much into that, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy just phenomenal matches across the board with tons of people. And then after the Evolve Championship is over, then he uh, kind of takes residency in the UK and, again, integrates into WXW to the point where he feels like he's 
like one of their own uh one of the most kind of emotional moments of the entire decade it comes late uh is when thatcher wins the championship from bobby guns um and then defends the title the next night against jonathan gresham and it's just like hugely emotional and the crowd just loses their fucking mind for it and uh yeah it's just like it's really cool to have seen that and it just goes to show like what he could really do if people were willing to like get into him so i think the german crowds get got into him and then that's how like emotionally invested you can become in his character and his work and everything that he does if you actually like give it a shot but if you just close it off and don't buy into it then like it's it's whatever uh, meanwhile through all of that he's like yeah he's he's having the tag team with walter plus the matches with walter uh stuff in pwg like yeah he's just having great matches the whole time the best seller um in wrestling probably the best facial expressions uh grittiness realness i talked about gresham being the best technical wrestler and it's like smoothness and thatcher i think just has a different mentality when it comes to wrestling and stuff just looking more like a more like a, a legitimate fight i guess i would say grisham it's not that grisham misses that but thatcher just really amps it up and that's more of his focus so yeah i mean timothy thatcher's a guy who's i'm just i'm very personally invested in I've, you know got it, even getting like a, a little emotional talking about him here um so that's part of it too and just a guy talked about it a little bit he's like the wrestling forest gump it's like no matter what's going on thatcher shows up right right when the the heat of things and kind of like um and is right in the thick of stuff no matter what like thing is happening the uk explosion and thatcher's there and, and and now he's in nxt when nxt gets on national television so another situation where something is happening and thatcher just happens to be there you know um yeah every, everything you're saying about thatcher and like the real the reality of thatcher is that he's been at least at least in my opinion he's been a top like again 10 guy arguably since 20 since, since 20 since 2014 in terms of just like what he all what he just the, the consistency 2016 is the only off year but even then like he like you still like this year but other than that 2016 outlier like the last couple of years he was like a top five guy for me back to back to back considered for number one like he is someone to just for me, it just hits everything I want out of wrestling sometimes. And I'm someone, again, like me and you, we like, there's not many people like us that are going to have Kenny Omega and Timothy Thatcher in the same top 10. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, so, like, I think that just, like, shows, like, for what we want out of wrestling sometimes, like, Thatcher just hits on such a high level. And, like, because we, because even though, even though he became, eventually became more of a volume guy eventually, like, there's there something to be spoke about the fact that Thatcher still felt so kind of special. And even when he became a volume guy, when he was wrestling everywhere, Thatcher still Thatcher still had a feel to him that he didn't that like he wasn't overexposed. No matter how long he's been around, and he was a champion in the promotion for two years, and everywhere he's wrestled, Thatcher at no point ever felt overexposed. And like, maybe that's due to the fact, due to the fact that he's never had super long matches and he's never overstayed his welcome in the ring. But Thatcher despite how long he's been around, how prominent he's been in so many places, Thatcher still to this day doesn't ever, doesn't even feel like he's like scratched the surface of like what he could be. And I know in WWE, like what he could be, like may not ever, ha may not ever happen, but 
We're talking about a guy that's been around for so long, and you still kind of feel like, whom I feel like there's more there with this guy. Yeah, definitely. And you're right about that, though. Like, when he was a... When he became a volume guy, he was so great, and he never really laid off. But I do kind of miss the... the I guess we still kind of get it in NXT, but the, the, the time when you could only just have a little bit of Thatcher as a treat... Um, was like kind of a great time when it was like he would take a few months off and just have a few matches here and there. Um, he definitely still felt special. And that's probably why he's still feels special even at this point in the 2010s, even at this point where he's signed to NXT. He still doesn't feel like played out and overdone and like you've seen everything from him because he's very limited in how much he works. Ooh, fuck. Okay. We're getting we're getting down to what here. And I think um, I mean I'm looking at my list and I'm like, damn, I think I I know the rest of your list. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to even know if I like, if, I be, if I be know the rest of yours, honestly. <laughs> um, Jesus, and I'm looking, and like I'm so torn on this on my last four that I'm still like I don't know what to do. <laughs> really, but. Yes, I'm still so torn right, on it. All right, well, my, do, you um, to, do you want me to go? go yeah, wanna, yeah. Let me do my number four. Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead. Because I think my number four right. is the one person I have left that you don't have. And I think it's fucking crazy because you also didn't have him anywhere on your list. So maybe I'm wrong and I'm predicting incorrectly or I lost track somewhere. But my number four is the man that gravity forgot, Pack. Yeah, he is not on my list, but holy shit, wow. Which that I is think a, is crazy. <laughs> that is a super high ranking for him. And, like, I mean, like, I thought Ricochet had the better decade. Like, up, in, I guess up until, like, Pac, like, had the Dragon Gate run. But, yeah, okay, yeah. Shit, tell, me, tell, me, tell me about Pac. Pac starts out the decade great. Like, by the time that we hit the 2010s, like... Pac has already been the best flyer in wrestling probably for a couple years and like maybe just underappreciated like people don't re- people didn't really realize it yet but like by the time Pac comes in and fills in for Jack Evans as in PWG is the for the tag team titles he's already like the best flying wrestler in the world and this is like 2007 um and then from there, once you get into the 2010s, like, he just, like, solidifies that. And honestly ups his game immensely by going to Dragon Gate. And the time that he spends in Dragon Gate, he just, like, yeah, like, becomes... I mean, like, you know, he's in Dragon Gate for a few years before we start. But 2010, throughout this decade, like, the Dragon Gate stuff has just made him into a fucking machine. Just everything he does is crisp, on point. This this guy, like, the selling... Like, I think Pac's selling gets overlooked. Underdog selling babyface. Like, he's amazing by the time we're into this decade. He's so fucking good. Starts getting, like, showing up in... Obviously, in New Japan. Um, again, gets more PWG. But primarily, obviously, in uh, Dragon Gate. And, like, yeah, like huge matches the ricochet stuff in dragon gate both in uh america like dragon gate usa and dragon gate in japan and like just like how you talk you said ricochet had the better decade but like i don't know like pack just 
I mean, there is no ricochet without Pac. It feels like like a lot of people give tons of credit to 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 Sima, but it felt like Pac really was in there more with him, and was really the person who like he wrestled and got better with. Um, shows up in random like will randomly go back and forth from like coming over to America here and there, and like when he pops up, he has great matches with like any random person but like ar fox i remember having a great match with ar fox um great matches with tozawa not just like in japan but also in dragon gate usa they have like a phenomenal match that i remember um from yeah like dragon gate show in 2000 something um so yeah i mean the guy is just really fucking good until he has the match with prince devitt <laughs> in 2012 and then uh, the, the rest is history, I guess. Triple H sees the match. William Regal, I guess, shows him the match. And Triple H wants both of them and obviously gets Pac a lot sooner than he gets Prince Devitt. And I guess when I think back on it, that story was not out there as much at the time. So when Adrian Neville shows up in NXT, you're kind of like, okay, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do with this guy, but obviously he's great, but are they going to give him, like, a chance? And kind of the first stuff he does is tag team stuff. I don't know. You Were were you watching NXT, like, from the early, early days back then? Yeah, yeah, him, yeah, him and Oliver, Oliver yeah, Gray. Yeah, so him and Joel Redman win the tag team titles, uh, Oliver Gray. And I, I, I keep forgetting that's Joel Redman. Yeah, <laughs> and then he loses them, um, and then... I think that they go to him and Corey Graves because Oliver Gray leaves. So then him. Yeah, the other did happen. Yeah, so then him and Corey Graves become a tag team. The the commentator guys for for the kids listening, Corey Graves, the WWE commentator, used to be a wrestler. Um, and uh, yeah, so then he goes into that, and it was kind of it, it was a little weird because, like I said, the 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 whole story about how boned up Triple H was for the Neville Devitt match was not really out there at this time as much as it is as it was later. So you're like, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with this guy. And then clearly, like, it all comes into picture because then he has the the super epic uh, title run where, like, yeah, his, I think people remember or people talk about his, uh, his Dreamgate championship run that just happened. But his NXT title run was, like, huge. It was, like really a big part of solidifying because up until that point the nxt title i won't say was a joke but it was like seth rollins who had it pretty quickly and felt like it was like even before anything and seth was just seth he barely had any matches then it was Big E. then it, then it yeah then it bit then biggie and, Bo, and then Bell and biggie like biggie was good and he's he's always been good but biggie was doing the five count thing and biggie you know his personality so it's like almost he's almost kind of a comedy wrestler he's like he's just teetering on comedy wrestler biggie is not quite a comedy wrestler but he's almost there and then bo dallas and that whole thing was like whatever and neville gets the title and takes it from all of that into like feeling like a serious worthwhile title and has like continuously has great matches do you remember her <laughs> Uh, him having a match with Brodus Clay that was like five minutes. I think so. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. <laughs> didn't he get like? Did he get hurt in that match? Uh, or? I don't think he got hurt, but but like, yeah, it was like super quick, and he was like able to play like a really great 
cat and mouse game with Brodus Clay and then get the win really fast. And it's just like, yeah, like, and when you build like his title reign and the build, and when you finally get to the payoff where Sammy wins the title, like Sammy's a great baby face. And you talked about how he's like all time, one of the greatest of all time, but that big title win doesn't matter as much if Neville hadn't really like made that title feel important. And like, by the time he loses the title, the title feels like a big deal. Um, so yeah, like great NXT title run that kind of has been lost to history a little bit because it was like in between it was like I think it started before NXT was even on the network and then went into the network era and then yeah he becomes like the best TV wrestler that they have in WWE once he gets like on the main roster Um, his cruiserweight championship run is phenomenal and this is where you start to see like oh this guy is like a good champion when he's when he invents the bastard character as the cruiserweight champion, he's like the best thing on TV for basically the entire time. Um, in some ways, like the f- couple of matches that he had with Mustafa Ali were really what like felt like it made Mustafa Ali turn start turning into like the uh, you know the underrated thing that he eventually becomes when he wins the title. Like in a lot of ways, he feels like Ali becomes his successor in the guy who's like the cruiserweight champion who's the best thing on tv um and you can kind of see a little bit of that connection unfortunately you get the uh you get him <laughs> like transitioning the title to uh to um enzo, enzo which is a bummer but yeah when uh when ali eventually gets the title that's like the first time that it feels like we're back to uh to like uh, the same thing that we were having with um with Neville, I guess maybe Cedric was kind of the same thing. Um, either way, then he leaves, and he has that epic Dragon Gate, um, Brave Gate Championship run, and or not Brave Gate, Freedom Gate Champ. Uh, what the fuck is Dream, Dream Gate? Gate. Uh, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong? I'm like saying every other title, uh, the Dream Gate run that's like amazing for like over a, or like a year basically, and then when he does from there show up in AEW. I'm trying to think. The Iron Man match was actually this year or last year, wasn't it? So he has a couple AEW matches, yeah. but not a ton. But everything he does have is great, and just yeah. I mean, the guy starts out the decade as the best flyer and ends the decade as one of the best heels. Great on the mat, great at everything, storytelling. So it's just like a decade of growth, um, and not just like the guy got better he's not like he's not like this is not like a most improved award this is like a became great award like went from being really really went from being great to becoming phenomenal over the decade and doing it in a ton of different places in a ton of different styles going from yeah like basically all flash and high flying to like even toning it down quite a bit while also still being breathtaking and amazing to being a like just a rough shitty heel who you know can mix in a couple high flying spots here and there but realistically is primarily just a heel to like having this badass finishing move that just looks brutal and just yeah the guy has just shown like versatility and depth and growth that like i don't know there's not a lot of other wrestlers that you can look at from the beginning of the decade until now and, and really see someone who's come so far while also having started out the decade being already great, it's like he just got better and better and better as the as the years went on. 
Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm still just like, looks like four. Just like it feels really high for him. But like again, like he's like you said, like if you like look at the, if you look at it from the from the context, if you look at someone like from like from the beginning of the from beginning to end of the decade, like who left a lasting impression on you? And when you go from like the early beginnings of the man gravity forgot and like a little before he started putting the bulk on, and then you like see his transformation throughout the entire decade. Uh, from that, from that guy in PWG and Dragon Gate to the guy in NXT that legitimizes the title to when he gets on WWE and like he seems like he's doomed because he's out there wearing the fucking cape and everything. Like he becomes like the best TV worker that they have, and then when they stop using him that capacity and they move him, he over he becomes he becomes the best thing in their division, the cruiserweight division, and then and like he makes 205 Live feel like a thing that you want to see. And then after that, he leaves, and everything that he does feels must see. So, like, I guess when you break it down that way, like, I can I can understand like how we how we landed at four for it you. It seems I think part of it is that his case is very disjointed, or at least it feels disjointed. But when you when you really like you said like look at the timeline and put it all together, and it's not like he takes a bunch of time off in there. He takes a little bit of time off between WWE and Dragon Gate. There's like the layoff where they're not letting him work and he's still under contract. But realistically, it's all one big arc. You can watch most of it. Like the NXT stuff, even the super early NXT stuff is still online. So you can still see all of it. And like, yeah, the way that it like flows through is like a huge, like a big narrative and transition. And then at the same time, the entire time, no matter where he's at, he's like delivering high level performances and no matter where he's at he finds his way to the top as being like one of the best in whatever capacity he needs to be he's the best that he can be at that place so that's why yeah that's that, that's it like this his his commitment to excellence throughout the decade is um applaudable i will say all right um so I'm just going to go ahead and do it then. Uh, my number four is Kazuchika Okada. All right. I had Okada way down at number 13. Um, The best guy at this style. And you could say, like, this is the style that he's came up doing. So, like, you know, of course he should be, uh, he should be good. He should be good at it. But, you know, a guy that from the time he came in, and this is going to go to stuff that's beyond, like, him just, you know, his in-ring merit and his in-ring capacity and, like, who was had the most great matches. But this guy came in, like, yes, he is someone that they were going to go out of their way to protect, but there is some level of when you're put out there and put in the main event and you have to go and wrestle, like, you have to deliver. At some point, like, they can push you and present you as a star as much as they want, but you have to go deliver in... Um, do and do your and do your part. Well, I mean, and, to be fair, like New Japan is not WWE. Like New Japan cannot just put him out there and lose money because they want to make him a star. He has to draw, and he has to get over, or else they have to move on because they have to keep the company going. Like WWE can just push whoever, no matter if they're popular or not, because they're going to make money no matter what. He has to make money, right? So you can't argue that he never yeah, got like, over. Yeah. Yeah, like this is a gamble, and I like, uh, and like I feel like if, because certain people might be more beloved, I guess like outwardly, like Tanahashi might be more beloved, Naito might be more 
beloved, even maybe in a bushi, maybe maybe even a Shabbat or whatever. Like it kind of gets lost that like Okada had to land, and it did. That was a, like an enormous amount of pressure, and for come in as young as he did, and deliver time in and time out, and not only deliver and tell and have great matches in like terms of action, but just tell such compelling stories like the passing of the torch the generation versus generation that's him that's him that's him that's him versus tanahashi uh the count like you know the maturing that had to go on during that as they're kind of telling two stories like you know it's tanahashi trying to like hold on trying to hold on to his spot on top of the mountain and okada having the talent and the fact, and the fact that he's better than tanahashi but he just is emotional he gets angry he gets frustrated he gets flustered and tanahashi is cool calm and collected and those things don't bother him and you're telling that story so well over the course of like again six years really like when okada eventually you know gets to a point where tanahashi's firmly in his rear view really and you know, then then okada reverts when he goes through losing the title to Omega, and for the first time since 2016, he beats him. And, and uh, he beats him straight up in uh, in Destruction 2018. He beats him. And, like, that just shows you, like, the long-term storytelling, the way they reward you for paying attention and, like, caring about outcomes and wins and losses and keeping track of that shit. Like, it just made you care and that's like weaving in that storytelling that takes something from being a, like a being a great match being an awesome match filled with fireworks or something that sticks with you and like emotionally resonates with you and that's what okada has it's like it's his 2017 g1 run and how incredible he is start to finish in okada coming out coming out like uh off to off to the races ridiculous ridiculous but his body slowly starts to fail him his body fails him. He, he like he can't make it all the way towards the end. His neck just fails him, and it's not just great matches. It's not just him getting like him hit, like him getting hit hard and him selling well and all the action involved in that. It makes you it reels you in. It makes you care and it wraps you into the narrative. And that's with Omega. That's with Kashiori. That's with Kashiori Sabata. That's with AJ Styles as he's trying to make his way back up to the mountain after getting cheated out of the title. They reward you for paying attention to everything that this guy goes through. And yeah, he is the narrative point of the company. He is the focal point. He is he is the lens in which the story of New Japan is told in the 2010s. But they like he, he makes you care. And some people will say that he's stoic or emotionless or acts like a robot or a super formulaic and all these things. But like when you break down all this other stuff that Okada has been through, he firmly he he thought he was better than Tanahashi after he beat Nakamura in a, in, a, in, the, in the 2014 G1 and came into the 2014 it came into the 2015 Tokyo Dome angry and pissed off because he got cheated out of because he got cheated out of the title that that AJ Styles that AJ Styles took from him and he goes into that match mad because Hiroshi Tanahashi who he beat and has proved that he's better than weaseled his way into another title reign there's so much going on there that like invest you into the into the psyche that creates Okada crying as he's walking to the back. It invests it invest you in that. In this whole idea, like, yes, Okada is super protected. Okada is Teflon. Like, Okada can lose to whoever he wants to and do whatever, and he will be okay. But 
this idea that Okada just doesn't lose, or that Okada doesn't eat shit, or that Okada just is super super protected, and everything's about him, like, they've never been afraid to make Okada lose. If anything, Okada's losses have been what have made him special, have been what have been, like, narrative-defining points for him. It's when Okada loses that he has to go find himself in rebound, because he's still kind of dumb, still kind of immature, and those losses still affect him. And it's not just about the great matches. He's been having great matches since he came back. The best rivalry of all time. The Kenny Omega, the Kenny Omega Dominion match I still think is the best match of all time. Uh, the Minoru Suzuki, Tetsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, Carl, Carl Anderson, uh, even, even fucking Sonata, Will, Os- Will Ospreay. This guy has had great matches going up and down this roster. Yuji Nagata, uh, Yuji Nagata, Juice Robinson, Satoshi Kojima, people that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even really think of or expect, and he keeps going and keeps doing it, and it's more than the great matches, more than anyone on this list, other than maybe maybe someone else. This guy makes you care so much. I know that says about Tanahashi, but Tanahashi like Tanahashi's narratives became less and less and less to focus as New Japan went on. Okada's struggles and Okada and Okada's and Okada's uh Okada's issues became so prevalent and became and became uh so important. And some people would think so would think certain things are dumb. Okada uh wearing the wacky pants and carrying balloons. Like some people think it's goofy. I think that it's a guy that reverted and things that used to be regular for him, things that used to be normal for him became a struggle and that was a struggle to come back and start being himself again and i'm sorry but i'm invested in that he acted like he, he was a guy that was struggling and it conveyed that in his matches and he felt like he was getting close and close and then he wound up falling back that falling back down the pole and it just made, it made me care i cared when okada cried and walk and walk and walk to the back of wrestle kingdom 9 why did I care? Because Okada has been such a cocky asshole throughout the entire time that he had been in New Japan that when he finally broke in this veneer of this like uh, cool, calm, collected guy that has everything under control and this like pro- um, prodigious talent, that once that once Tanahashi came out of that Rainmaker, all that was left was, was Okada's ego completely shattered and he just is bawling on the way to the back. And I think that's the selling point for me. That's the main point is that great matches are cool. The great match theory and who has the great and has the most great matches will still probably wind up having Okada pretty high on my list. But what makes him someone that I feel this passionate about, someone that I'm talking this much about, is because Okada made me care that more than just about any more than more than just about anyone on his list has and it's made me care more than just about anyone in wrestling history has because it feels like what he does he sells it to the fullest and he makes that shit matter no matter what it is yeah that's i mean everything you say there is correct that wrestle kingdom was it wrestle kingdom nine like that emotional outburst is legendary i mean it's like one of the most relatable while also like feeling completely alien situations ever where it's just like you get that frustration you get that kind of level of of i don't know just like morose like disappointment 
he'll keep and, and, and like he does get his eventual victory, but it's like he learned like he he learns like from his mistakes. He learned from like what was his downfall in the past. He decide he learned like again it's cliche, it's fucking stupid. You can call it melodramatic or whatever. But when he gives, when he has that risk control, and he doesn't let go of Tanahashi, no matter how much Tanahashi slaps him, like that is Okada not giving up anymore. He ref- he's not like getting caught up in his own head and getting frustrated when things don't go his way. He's learned that in order for this to happen, in order for me to make this work, I need to go through with this, and I can't give up. And it's so basic. It's so like like on like a such like a like a basic pro wrestling level of you know if you put your mind to what you can achieve it but in that moment i feel like that like that like conveyed that message rather than like just about anything in wrestling ever that okada finally learned that in order to do this he just can't give up right well it's just like yeah it's it's he was so used to the idea that things just come to him and that he would just like you know get whatever he what he would just win like, can I just have it? Can I just win? That was like the way that his mind worked. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, can I just win though? Because I'm Okada, I'm the Rainmaker. I'm I'm supposed to just win. And like, it is like just that. That was the first time that he got told no. You can't just win. And it was really hard. It's like juvenile, I guess. Not even juvenile. It's like like an infant. He's like a. a a baby being told no and he's crying as he walks off but like you said he learns and he grows from that and i think i think okada is baby um obviously Uh, (laughs) but like that saying that leads to my point is that like i talked about psychology and the psychology and the nature and where your moods are playing such a big role in like kevin steen and why kevin steen feels like such an important figure for the 2010s to me because of like that nature and Okada kind of follows that line and in some ways like perfected it as the top guy it is the modern like to say it millennial nature I talked about it when we were talking about his G1s the past two years where like his weakness isn't that his leg gets hurt like the old school stereotypical wrestler thing where you have an injury his weakness yeah, is or, or Tanahashi coming, Tan, yeah, Tan, yeah, Tanahashi coming in there with a with the, with a bum shoulder yeah. for the eleventh yeah, time. Yeah, his, his weakness is his brain, is his psychology, is his mental, and that is of the time. Like every, like you know, everyone is on fucking antidepressants. Everyone is like talking about having fucking nervous breakdowns. Everyone, and it's like that is the modern like, uh, like that's the relatability. Everyone's depressed. Everyone thinks that they deserve everyone is baby like that's that's the thing like and okada is that modern millennial like psychology brought into wrestling like i said like steen did it very early on but okada is like perfected it and made it into like his thing okada is like the millennial wrestler and then the derivative as i was mentioning it earlier but like in the slack adam page like hangman page hangman page is like the same thing like his gimmick is that he's a depressed millennial cowboy who's like drinking to deal with his problems like this is kind of a a new thing because it's an update on like it's it's wrestling reflecting culture art follows culture right like the culture is that people have these like psychological issues and okada is the wrestler of that zeitgeist so like the idea that he's brash and he's cocky and then he gets cold no and he starts crying and he can't fucking deal with it is like it very much fits with like the modern like 
not I'm not saying like oh all millennials are whiners and need to like have a stiff upper lip, but like a lot of us have had to deal with that. Like it's not like being told no. It's like it's like realizing that you're not going to get the stuff that was promised to you because it was like the easy things in the way that life was handed to the people before you. You know what I mean? It's like realizing that the world is fucking way different than what you were sold because there's just not enough to go around. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Barley just popped my <laughs> Barley just popped in here and she has a crown on and she's got a new sweater she's and she is so cute. Number one. She's number one? She's ready for number <laughs> Oh, Barley's ready for number one because she's got a crown. Okay, bye. Bye. Oh. She's very cute. I'm going to have to post this picture of how cute she looks. But, uh, yeah, that that, 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 should be, that should yeah, be the picture. Yeah, but it's juxtaposed for, with, for with talking about depressed wrestlers. Um, but yeah, like th- th- that is like the idea of like dealing with. Oh, all of this stuff should come easily. I deserve it, you know. All like, and then you find out like actually there's nothing there, and actually like the house is foreclosed on, and you know capitalism ate your lunch and you're fucked you know you you, you know you know like what it like what it made me think like because I, I just like finished watching like rewatching the wire recently yeah. right like like it almost kind of feels like like Naaman in season four like right. you know like how like Naaman how Naaman goes from like you know just well my dad my dad's weebay and my mom wants me to be this so I'm gonna go over here and be this so I gotta be tough I gotta be this I gotta be that and when Michael starts slapping the shit out of him, he finally comes to that. He comes to that realization of like, I don't want to be this. I am not this, and this does not work. And it's like, it's not, it's not like, it's not apples to apples. But it's like when Okada finally has that moment where Wrestle Kingdom Nine, like English broadcasting, is going to be on pay per view and all that stuff. This is my moment, and he doesn't get it. Like it's that kind of same principle of like, oh my god, like I like like it's like all like the actual emotions come out yeah exactly because you've um, never experienced something that, like that before you know yeah um but if you had anything unless you had anything had anything else to add that's all i have on yeah. okada and then you can move on to your number okay. three my number three i well, 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 well yeah, you, you did your four yeah. yeah so it's three my number three i guess you don't have on your list which is understandable he didn't do much this year is uh or this decade is uh zach saber jr well, there you go. We're, we're, we have one. We matched. And it's on yeah, Zach we again. Here. We matched uh. on Zach at number one before, and now we matched on Zach at number three. This is yeah, impressive. Um, people have heard us talk about Zach a lot at this point, right? Like, what? I don't even know where to start. I guess, I guess I guess now in a decade capacity, it's like we could say like, hey, like same thing Kenny Omega, like Zach's been good for a really long time, guys. Like, yeah. like at least in, like you know, twenty ten he has some good stuff, but like at least since twenty eleven, like I think twenty ten, I think twenty ten is the Mochizuki match. Um, but like at least since twenty eleven, as we go as like, like that guy has been really good since twenty eleven. Well, I mean, he and, has both great Brian Danielson matches before the decade starts, right? So he's yeah. he's already had two great there's, there's a there's a there's a Claudio Iron Man in 2009 mm-hmm. too. Like, like this guy is like really good by then yeah, already. He's already. Maybe you could like argue that he's not like he's in there against great wrestlers having great matches, but he has great matches. Yeah, and then you like you see him from I would I would argue that already like the Walter the Walter stuff that we get from 2010 through 2013 
like even be- even before they even before they get to like bringing that rivalry over to the states that's already one of like the best rivalries to have happened in european wrestling by that point like and that's and that's like totaling e- like the uh the outsiders versus 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 leaders of the, of the new school too and their single stuff like that was already one of the best rivalries in europe um like dick togo mochizuki matches tjp um the future the future shock tags and like a whole bunch of other stuff that he did like that's already happened by this point right. yeah like uh it is crazy to think because by the time people in the states have heard of him he's already had like some of the best matches of his career the first dick togo match like um like you're talking about the walter feuds um he's already done all of the tag stuff in Noah with uh, Ogawa that there's like tons of great matches there. Um, yeah, the stuff with Harada that he has in Noah. Like, there's so much good match, so much good work already before anyone, it like in the states or it, I mean, most people in general have really even heard of him. Yeah, it's 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 like that really up and up until. Uh... Up until 2013, 2014, where, like, it seems like now as, like, you know, the Noah stuff is starting to, like, finally get, like, some notice by people. But it's not even, like, it's like, it's funny. Like, his stuff in Europe and everywhere else isn't what got him noticed. It's the Noah work. And the Noah work is him just, like, scumming, scumming it up with Ogawa, pretty yeah. much. Oh, man. It's such great stuff. I'm like, I'm, like, remembering just being so fucking hyped on him at that point. Um, and a guy who does, like... He goes from that to becoming the the buzziest, biggest, most talked about wrestler in the world, showing up in WWE for like the CWC and people talking about him getting signed. And then you're like, the fuck is going to happen, this guy? And then he goes right back to Japan, basically. After he, that's like skipping over the, the epic Evolve and PWG title runs and stuff and the RPW title run and all of that, right? But it is funny to think about that time. It's like 2016. Where you're like, people are like saying like, oh, he's going to get signed. He's going to go to WWE. And he's just basically having all of these great matches and then shows up in New Japan. And then from there, like constantly one of the best wrestlers in New Japan, even if he's not at the top of the card, it doesn't matter who they put him in with. Like, is there anybody in New Japan that he doesn't have chemistry with, that he doesn't have great matches with? Like. Everyone they put him he up has against. Sonata, he, he he has Sonata's best matches. Yeah. Like, like there's like there's really like all there is to it. You go from like I, I was actually like looking back at like his like his like two his two uh, his two G ones and it's like you go like you go Sonata, Kenta, Juice Robinson, Ishii, Okada, Tanahashi, Night Naito. Like uh, he he's done it with everybody. He's done it. He's done it all, like up and down the tournament. Yuji Nagata, Kota Ibushi, like, like he's done it up and down the the the, the, the roster. The new Japan, the new Japan Cup run, and how and how ridiculous that was. He did it everywhere, in every place, and like, I would say that at least since 2015, I th- I think through, like 2015 through 2018, that for that uh that four-year stretch i think he's at least like a top 15 guy and then 2016 to 2018 i feel like he's a top three guy like 
And that says a lot. And like the thing that I and the thing like because I was sitting there, I was stuck. I didn't know who to say between Okada and uh, between between Okada and Zach, honestly, because Okada like is the best at that style at that thing. He dominates that thing, and I feel like he does it better than anybody. And in one there. place, you know, one setting. Yeah. And in one place, one setting, and it's like, and I'm and as someone. Historically, when we do these lists, like other than like, you know, 2018, where I meant like the narrative that Okada carried throughout the entire year is what reeled me in. Like, Zach, when when we think versatility, when we think like working everywhere, being able to work everybody, you're talking a guy that can go and like grapple with Drew Gulak and like run the ropes one time in a 26 minute match. It was the same guy that can go out there and wrestle AR Fox. And Ricochet, and Ricochet, and Leo Rush, and ACH. It, it, it's that same guy, the same guy that can go out there and brawl and brawl with Ethan Page. Like this is this is all that same person, and he he's he's been doing that. He's been great at that. He's been he's a great babyface. Like that's shown in the in the in the Walter stuff that we that we, that we have early on, and he's proved and he proved he proved to be a great heel, and. He did that as a tag team, did that as a singles guy, but like the main thing, and obviously like we've talked so much about Zach over the cor- over the course of the last like few years that like we don't have to say too much on him, and you can like you know give whatever pieces that you need to, but like the thing that takes it over the top is that that 2016 through 2018, I at least gave him 2016 to 2017 as back to back wrestler of the year years, and that's enough, but shit, I was still considering him for number one in 20 in 2018. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been like, crazy. He was right. Yeah, like he, I consider him in twenty eighteen wrestler of the year. Like we're he we're talking about someone that was like, like, like a like a point off, like one like yeah. one 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 last check of my Google document off from being the wrestler of the year three times in a row. And like you know, like this he's the he's there's not much to say about him. He's proven everything that there is. He's had a big emotional title victories. He's had emotional title matches. He has elevated people. He has been a great touring champion. He has come across like a gigantic star. He's done it in the biggest spots. He's done it. He's done it with forty people in the room. He's done it versus nobodies, and he's done it versus Okada. Like the same, this same guy that that'll wrestle James Mason in the cockpit and have like a complete like. World of Sports style match is the same is the same guy that can go out there and wrestle in and wrestle in uh in Sumo Hall versus versus Okada for thirty minutes, the same guy. Yeah. And like again, but like there was a point in time where people tried to act like Zach was so limited and Zach was this and Zach was that and like that clearly got disproven. But what is there left to say about a guy that for three years in a row could have been the could have been the wrestler of the yeah. year? No, definitely. I was I was trying to look here at the 2018, um, the year that that Zach had to see what what could have changed to make it his year. And I was looking at uh, this PWG show that I'm trying to remember if I was here. I would have been. It would have made sense that I was at this show. Um, and I do remember some of these matches. So, but Zach wrestles Flip Gordon on this show, um, and. If, if he had just wrestled, and I'm looking at the other people on the show that he could have had better matches with, and they're all problematic, and so I don't want to say he should have wrestled them instead because they're canceled. So based on that, 
I was thinking if he had wrestled Keith Lee, but then I looked and he had wrestled Keith Lee the month before in PWG, so they wouldn't do that rematch the next month. Um, so I'm going to say if Zach had wrestled Dalton Castle on this show instead of <laughs> Flip Gordon, he would have been wrestler of the year. Um, that's, that is my, my, I'm sticking to it. There's a bunch of other people on here that he would have had better matches with, but they're bad. Um, uh, all, 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 all of his best rivals, like he's like, he's like the best rival for so many people, like great series, so many people, Thatcher, Gulak, Hero, Darby Allen. like the multiple, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Kota Ibushi stuff, the Walter, the Walter stuff, even Matt Riddle, David Starr, like even like the Aussie Open, the Aussie, all, all the, all the various Aussie Open tag matches he had, he had against them. He's like. Austin Theory's second best match ever. He's Chuck Mamba. He's Chuck Mambo's best match ever. <laughs> Shibata. You know, just Cobb. he had Cobb's best match. I will say that as a virulent Cobb fucking fan, having just seen Cobb wrestle Shingo, I will say hands down that Cobb's best match was still the Zack Saber Jr. RPW title match. Like, yeah, there's tons of people that he gave them the respect but you have to uh, again talk about like the people that that gave him great matches early on and one of which is uh brian danielson who will come up at some point on this list maybe i don't even know at this point um i think maybe you dropped him off your list which is okay um but yeah i mean i i think i think we're done (laughs) i don't think that we can get into him much more at this point we've talked about him so fucking much so here's the thing I think that you don't have my number two, which feels crazy. Or I do have your number two. I, I, I think I do have your number two because I think I said them earlier. I don't think you do. But maybe. Um, Because there's no way you don't have my number one. So, my number two, I don't think, maybe you did say him and I just don't remember. But my number two is the Young Bucks. Yeah, I, I, I had the Young Bucks down to the okay. I, like, I knew, I knew, yeah, I knew who the rest of you had. I'm like, no, I had, I had the okay, Young Bucks. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna lose my fucking mind. So now I'm okay. I was like, kind of getting upset because I was like, God damn, I think you just overlooked <laughs> it. Because I think I, I know what oh, your top nah. two are now. Um, I just don't know who is your number one. So I, I kind of hope that we have the same number one, but I don't think that we will. But maybe we will. Um, the fuck is there to say about the Young Bucks from the 2010s? Like. Easily the best tag team of the entire Dominant. Just dominant. In every sense of the word. Just dominant. (laughs) The greatest tag team of the decade. Hands down. No fucking question. I don't want to hear it. There is no tag team that comes close. In the 2010s. For being the tag team of the decade. Other than Young Bucks. Repeated great matches repeated impact to the the business as a whole draws storytelling everything innovation the 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 bullet club and aew do not exist if the young bucks are not part of the group that's just that's like that's just finn balor was the original leader of the bullet club he came up with the bullet club all that stuff the young bucks made the bullet club cool yeah before that, the Bullet Club was a Japanese stable. The Bullet Club was Suzuki Goon before the Young Bucks joined. And then 
Suzuki Suzuki Una just happened that that just happened to have an Irish an Irish guy yeah. Tamatanga and Bad Luck Fale right. in it. <laughs> but it was not anything that anyone talks about. And the Young Bucks join and it becomes a cultural phenomenon. Because even if people want to say that like AJ Styles and uh Guns and Gallows were like the face of it and everyone they were just knocking off the Young Bucks. They even talk about it. They were trying to be cool to the Young Bucks. They were like making jokes. They were trying to pop the Young Bucks. They were fucking around with them. Because the Young Bucks just like they've got it. They have it. They are the coolest fucking evangelical Christians to grow up in in uh fucking ah uh, goddamn I can't remember what city they're from. Ah Rancho Cucamonga, yes. The coolest evangelical Christians to ever come out of Rancho Cucamonga are the Young Bucks. These guys somehow just have swagger that people... It's infectious. They're they're nerdy and they're dorky, but, like, somehow they're the coolest guys in the fucking room. No matter what. Like, okay, this is dumb, but it did happen in the decade, so it counts. We're at, at PWG. Matt is selling shirts standing in the ring and I look at him and he's got this big box of shirts and he's got a, a, someone next to him and I go hey is that one of the cutlers and he goes yeah dude they're our best friends and like the way that he said it was just like seamless and like insanely cool he's just like yeah what what does it matter they're just our best friends the cutler brothers but it was like the cutlers had not wrestled in years and they were just there selling shirts for them and it was just it just the effortless like nature of matt jackson even in the setting where he's just trying to sell shirts you know what i mean he's just like trying to make money but like he's just he's him and that's the thing about like the young bucks is that like they are just who they are and so to talk about how cool they are and that they're just like they're just normal guys and they just have natural charisma that like you can't i don't know you can't like get like it's it's infectious and it just it has created not just the biggest like merch selling like i guess brand in all of wrestling for the entire decade and and led to a deal with hot topic that led to WWE like trying to compete directly with New Japan and basically raid the company like the big raid of AJ Styles Nakamura um was that it or no and the 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 Guns and Gallo like all of those people getting raided from New Japan was because of the Bullet Club becoming such a big cultural icon and the Bullet Club became a big cultural icon because of the Young Bucks there's, like I said, talking about uh, Steen earlier and, and the stuff that he did, but, like, the Young Bucks making Being the Elite, the BTE show, like, becomes AEW. Like, becomes a big part of AEW, and AEW Dark. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, less, yes, literally, like, Being the Elite parlays into all elite wrestling being on TNT and, to the, and the brand that is, like, the, like that is now, like, like, like again, like, like the like first time we've had a major that's had like a, le- a legitimate second player in the in America since WCW, yes. and it's all it's all because of the Young Bucks. Like, there's a lot of other things going on too, and Kenny is good, and and Cody and all that stuff. But the Young Bucks are the biggest part of this, and this is all only talking about cultural 
impact cultural phenomenon with them, the coolness factor, all that stuff. At the m- meanwhile, they are legitimately the best tag team in the world, and they have nothing but great matches with every fucking team that you put them in there with. No matter who it is, it can be teams that have been around forever. It can be two random people put together. It can be, yeah, like Motor City Machine Guns talked about that earlier with them. It can be the American Wolves. It can be whoever it is. It can be Steen and Tozawa, a random team that's never teamed before. You know, like, these guys can wrestle anyone and have a great match with them, tell great stories. They can have memorable moments, like the stuff that they did with the world's cutest tag team. I guess, sorry, someone on that tag team was very canceled, and I apologize for not giving a warning. Um, But yes, like, they can have a great match with any team that you put them in there with, they can do spot for spot with anyone, no matter who they are. They can be the Lucha Brothers. They could be, like, the A.R. Fox and, uh, ah, I'm trying to think of his name. Not Flamita, but uh, R- Samurai Del Sol. What the fuck is his name? Kalisto? Yeah. They can be, like, the yeah, highest Kalisto. flyers on the planet. It can be fucking Speed Muscle. It can be any random team. It can be, then they can go in there with like Fish and O'Reilly and they can have like great matches where they sell body parts. Like, And it can be DGUSA when there's no one in the fucking crowd. It's the Bravado Brothers. The to- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or it can be um, facing the, facing, you know, be, being the faces of PWG, facing the Dojo Bros and, you know, working worst cutest tag team. It can be, and it can be in New, and it can be in New Japan, uh, you know, opening opening the Tokyo Dome. And again, like I feel like, again, we uh, we, we owe that 2013 through like 2017, 18 junior division an apology. Yes, <laughs> we for like we for sure do. Like, and then that goes into when they come back to ROH, and you mentioned like, you know how how big that red that that red dragon stuff that red dragon stuff was. And everything that the young bucks were able to do there, reigniting the few with with the Briscoes and the stuff that we got out of that, yeah, stuff with um, with the addiction, um, yeah, yeah. Like, there's tons of great matches in there because yeah, like the when the addiction, like the final match that they had in ROH was like that big crazy ladder war, and like the young bucks were such a big part of that, but they took the back seat to help like make Daniels, like this big like figure like. Yeah, the Briscoe brothers, they have great matches with that. Like, these guys... And then, again, in all the different factions, Mount Rushmore is, like, the proto thing where they're, like, the cool group. And then they go into the, the Bullet Club, and then that becomes, like, the coolest thing in the fucking world. And then they become part of the Elite, which, like, somehow becomes even cooler than the Bullet Club. Like, these guys are just, like, the biggest deal, the most impactful players in all of wrestling, the... Best. Every 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 major every major Bullet Club reveal involves the Young Bucks. Yes, like every like every major Bullet Club plot point from uh, from from the turn from the turning on Devitt to the turn from kicking AJ out and Kenny becoming the leader to when they reveal Adam Cole is joined to when they reveal that Scarlet is joined. Like every major plot point that has happened in the Bullet Club literally revolves around the Young Bucks. Right. And there's people who say, like, it's it's mostly Matt is the brains, but, like, whatever. Like, they are always thinking, they're always involved, they're always making big moves, they're always moving forward. And 
I don't know, maybe give the brain some map, but Nick is, like, insane high spot worker. Like, Nick could be one of the, the top, like, ten high flyers in the world if he was a singles wrestler. So, yeah, just amazing tag team. Not just an amazing tag team, but the most influential wrestlers in all of the 2019. People who just, like, made the entire decade. People who, like, created, like you said, something out of nothing. They went from fucking Rancho Cucamonga wrestling spot shows in Southern California to they are the number two biggest wrestling promotion in America and probably in the world by you know by the end of the next decade probably AEW ends up being the number two or number one biggest promotion in all of wrestling I would not be shocked at either of those outcomes and it all comes from the Young Bucks I Again, I can't think of any team, any people, any wrestlers that are more influential in the decade on top of, as I said, just having phenomenal output, not taking long periods of time off anywhere, popping houses, you know, thanks for the house, Young Bucks. Like, these guys draw crowds, have great matches, can do it all, storytelling or fireworks, it doesn't matter what you're looking for, they've got it for you, like, yeah, but... I don't know that there's, like, there's a lot of very famous and popular tag teams throughout the history of wrestling, but when you combine everything, not just in-ring, but also, like, influence, importance, everything else, they might be the biggest tag team in the history of wrestling. Realistically, it's really hard to think that there's any tag teams that come close, as, like, Rock and Roll Express are great and good wrestlers and all this stuff, but... To really say that they changed the business? I don't know that they changed the business as much as the Young Bucks truly did. So, like, there is an argument to say that the the most important tag team in the history of wrestling is the Young Bucks. Yeah. And, like I said, like, the in-ring work, you know, there's no real gaps ever. Like, they've no, no one's ever been seriously injured to the point where, like, the Young Bucks weren't working. Um, so you literally have them from, from the beginning of the decade up until the end of 2019 and they are working and competing at a high level, being consistent, having great matches from beginning to end. There's no flaw there. There's no gap. There's match of the year contenders. There's match of the decade contenders. There's memorable stuff sprinkled all over that. So yeah, like. When you look at the Young Bucks, and I'm someone I already said, I already said that the, that the Young Bucks are the best tag team of all time, and I firmly believe that, and I stand by that. Um, but when you just look at everything that go, everything that's, that's that goes on into making the Young Bucks who they are and their legacy, and we've and that we've been on it from the beginning, is that you can't tell the story of the Bullet Club and AEW and all this popularity, despite Kenny Omega being the guy that. Uh, is working the main events and Kenny Omega is the focus and everyone's worried about, Oh, what's Kenny Omega doing? Or, you know, Cody gets to have his TNT title stuff and work the mid card. And look, it doesn't exist without the young bucks. And you can, other, you can say, well, it doesn't exist without Kenny Omega. It doesn't exist without Cody. Like you can argue that, yeah. but like, I, I feel, I feel like, like the main thing to take away here is like, don't ever dismiss the importance of the young bucks. And like, again, like, you can argue like just as important as any tag team ever, and maybe more so when you look at it yeah, that way. I mean, the thing to me is that if you want to combine the arguments, I mean, neither one of us had Cody on our list, right? 
like neither we did not i think that maybe the AEW thing doesn't happen without cody maybe it's very likely but also he doesn't have the work side of things so like he's not going to make the all-around list because of that he just doesn't have it kenny I really do believe, because even from the beginning, it was like teasing that Kenny may or may not be in the thing, and it was never for sure. I really do believe that, like, the whole deal happens without Kenny without a doubt. He has the work side of things, but he doesn't have the, like, integral to the whole thing. So I do think that the Young Bucks are the most firm when it comes to both sides of that. You've got the Young Bucks as both, like, they would be there they're integral to it happening on the business side and they are the in-ring important for the work side of things so i do think that like when it comes down to it out of everyone involved in like making AEW happen other than tony khan obviously because none of it happens without tony khan i do believe that like the young bucks are the most like pivotal piece of those three and then you've got jericho which i think that jericho is obviously like the third most important part of it like jericho had to be involved no matter what um all right number uh, two well yeah my number two is uh, i guess i know i know what your number one is so my number two was chris hero ah uh, yeah that's my number one all right um and you just went and you just went so i'll go ahead with my number no, one. Oh uh, yeah go ahead yeah um and my number one is daniel bryan daniel bryan was my number where did i have him 12 um so daniel bryan there's a lot that you can argue against like if i'm being perfectly fair here you know he was out He was out from, you know, he get, he missed, he got, he missed. He didn't get to go with his, you know, his biggest moment. He didn't get to live that both times. Like in 2013, he gets fucked pretty much. He gets to have the summer after winning, after winning the belt versus Cena and he, Orton cashes in on him and they feud. But like after that, they just wanted to have him feud with the Wyatt family and put Bray Wyatt over. He, overcomes that and he and he gets to like have his moment at wrestlemania 30 and then he gets injured and he can't even enjoy that like he comes back um he comes back afterwards and is back on the shelf again this time for significantly longer he's not back until 2018 so what exactly is this case for daniel bryan considering like all this like missing time to be this high like yeah cm punk is on here and people that have like they were good and then just getting, didn't get opportunities are on here like you know like it's like a Sami Zayn and all that stuff like they're here right but why is daniel bryan number one and honestly i had to like i had to like figure it out i had to i had to i had to figure it out as i was going through uh and try to keep trying keep trying to justify it but like he is too good to deny even when there's so much time missing and he just overcomes so much that it's hard to not uh take him as the guy that 
when he's when he's there is the best wrestler of the decade and even with the time missed is the biggest wrestler of the decade and and like the heights that he reached in spite of everything that does factor in here but from 2010 in working mid car stuff being the you working with working with working the working the US title and just being a, being around and having to deal with like the mid car workhorses of that time your Wade your Wade Barrett and your Cody Rhodes and working fucking like people like Heath Slater and Drew McIntyre and Sankara and shit like he makes he makes the most he makes the most of that time and it was all it's all little hidden gems that if you were watching at that time you care about because he wasn't getting to do much stuff other, other than that other than that bragging rights match versus Dolph Ziggler which feels like oh okay that was a defining here's your stamp like this shows how much this, this shows how good this guy is moment but you go from there he's not getting many opportunities 2011 a lot of the same story until he wins money in the bank and that begins one of the better stories told that people forget about the daniel bryan's slow turn of i'm so uh i have so much integrity and i'm gonna cash in i'm gonna cash in at wrestlemania and he realized and he caves and he takes it and he takes advantage of a moment and he winds up cashing in and seamlessly like he takes this like delusional heel role and like at first you can kind of see his point but then he drifts more and more into being a heel and then eventually like a straight up like abusive boyfriend <laughs> towards the end of it like he takes all of that and plays that character so well where yeah it's less about his work it's more about the character and he does that so extremely well and you take that you have him like bill him as crazy they say he looks like a goat all this other stupid shit and it doesn't matter he the few with the few with cm punk the the eventual team team hell no when all the comedy segments that that produced the shield stuff that he is directly responsible for like yeah randy orton's good uh rollins and ambrose and reigns like all all do their part there but he is right in the middle of like the best stretch in wrestling and in raw in raw history pretty much in the best content that they were producing for a long time and that was even beyond that was even beyond the shield tags you're going him versus randy orton and the best stuff that orton has done in a long time you're going when these when they're building up the SummerSlam and you're getting him versus cesaro and swagger and right back in the gauntlet him versus cena at SummerSlam, how great that was all of it he gives you so much work and all of it matters all of it sticks in your memory but this guy that they never had any intention of being this kind of a star they never had any intention on pushing this hard they deliberately try to fuck him out of his spot so many times but it doesn't matter he comes back from injury after having his moment taken people forget they his first few after winning the title they put him back with fucking Kane. <laughs> His yes. first match out of winning the title, they put him back with Kane. Then he gets injured, and then he comes back. And guess what? Dude has the great has great matches with Rollins and Ziggler and Reigns in uh, that tag gauntlet against the Usos in 2015. Before he before he is, is out again, Sheamus too. Like before he's out again, he's already the best wrestler on the roster again. Like. Put that in perspective. This guy that was gone for that long came back and was seamlessly the best again. He comes. He, he has a fucking three-year gap. 
Like the three year the three year gap does exist. But guess what? After he to, after he has to shake some of the rust off, after he goes out there and has that tag, uh, has that tag against Owens and uh, Owens and Owens and Zayn and deals with deal deals with big cast. Guess what? When they switch the when they flip the switch and let him go out there and wrestle again, he goes out there and he has the AJ Styles matches. He has he has the best shit that's on TV again, changing his character. Once again, reinventing himself in the new Daniel Bryan, and this time as a more cunning, calculated, uh, mean, nasty, vindictive heel, and cutting the best promos of his career, having these amazing matches with AJ, this great match with Brock Lesnar, and then culminating that with the Kofi Kingston, was the Kofi Kingston story, and the Kofi Kingston Elimination Chamber match, and then eventually Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title at WrestleMania, that like, literally like, is the defining moment of that year. This guy, despite everything that happened, everything thrown at him to get him out of the way and make room for other people that they had more plans for, despite the injuries, despite the time lost, everything, Daniel Bryan, after being the best wrestler of the decade in the two thousand in the two thousands, reinvented himself time and time and time after again, and the work never fell behind. He became the biggest wrestler the WWE had during this decade, and he he remained their best wrestler on the roster whenever he was healthy. And sorry, but I give credit I give credit and a lot of points to a guy that could be off for three years. And literally not look rusty by the time by the time by the time he by the time he got going. And he did that and he did that a couple of different times. Gave career matches to a bunch of people, whether it was whether it's Sheamus or or Br- or Bray Wyatt. You could argue with still Roman Roman Reigns' career match if you really if you really wanted to. And all the all the matches that all the great matches that you'd expect with people that are that are great wrestlers. He is so undeniable in a lot of ways to me and i get it like you're not the wwe guy but as someone that had to like that watched him break the tv and create these hot segments where they're chanting him they're chanting for him when they're raising the belts for this like so forced john john cena and randy orton unification match or the way or the way he headbutts Vince McMahon and uh and when they're, when they're trying to make him corporate and the fact that he even made the authority like of, of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and how like unbearable they can be sometimes actually made it a good story. He had a great match with Triple H. <laughs> he had a great match with Triple H at WrestleMania 30 at a with a guy way past his peak. This is what he was going out there doing, making magic every single time. The guy's magical. He's the best wrestler ever. And I really did think about, like, man, that time miss really does fucking hurt. Like, I'm not sure if I can do it. But, like, at the end of the day, when I think of the 2010s, and I know that some people, like, have better, more consistent work cases with less time missed. Like, there is not not one person that when I think of the 2010s, I think of them before I think of Daniel Bryan. That's very fair. All of that's very true. Um, I can't argue with you. Part of it is just not watching all of his WWE work because, unfortunately, like WWE has just not been my thing. You know what I mean? Throughout the decade, 
Um, probably could have ended up higher if uh, if I did watch everything. But there is like even still within the 2010s decade, there's that brief period of time he has off where he does have some great matches outside of WWE. You know, including like showing up in PWG for one random match with Roderick Strong, showing up in Evolve for a match with Bobby Fish, great. DG USA against Shingo, great. But I think the most impactful thing that he does during that time off for kind of the history of the decade, and we talked about it earlier, is he wins the first ambition. And sets the precedent for what ambition is and ambition throughout the decade becomes something that's important to both of us right like throughout the 2010s yeah. multiple people on our lists are people who have won ambition in the past and daniel bryan wins the first one while he's on break from wwe for a couple of months um or like a month probably um so yeah, there's there is that to his decade case influence out not even just in WWE but in general, the influence that he has the the importance that he has the guy can take a, a month off from WWE and go out and solidify and set the foundation for a tournament that ends up being one of the most influential things of the entire decade as far as I'm concerned in wrestling because. Ambition is the place where a ton of people got to show off. You know, Timothy Thatcher talked about him earlier. He gets to show off, really, for one of the first times, just how good he can be at this kind of stuff in Ambition. Like, at the world stage for, pe for people to see. Um, holy shit, he wrestled Jay Freddy in 2CW. I didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, in 2010, when he takes the time off. <laughs> how lucky is fucking Jay Freddy to have gotten that Daniel Bryan? How crazy is that to think Bryan? that Jay Freddy of all people, man? <laughs> Hell, Jay Freddy's not bad. Somehow got not, one of the, not Jay Freddy. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah, like somehow he's one of the guys that got the Daniel got a Daniel Bryan match in yeah, twenty seven. Crazy. Um, but yeah, like you know, the guy just super important, super influential. I get everything you're talking about. I am one hundred percent like dragon pilled at this point. Like I am on the Quentin Joseph train. You know, when when we did the last GWE. I think I had Ric Flair number one. Number one. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure that I had Ric Flair number one. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember yeah. listening to that. Yeah, you were you were Ric Flair number yeah. one guy. I sure. am completely dragon pilled at this point. Like Brian Danielson is the greatest wrestler of all time, no question. And when we did the the GWE, it was 2016, right? It's been four years, and it's been four years inside the 2010s decade. So you would think that this decade would make it, but. A lot of it is like going back and watching older stuff and just really accepting that this guy is has been the greatest from basically as soon as we start seeing him all the way through until this point. The 2010s, yeah, I mean, you said it, he takes a three-year layoff, but like realistically there's a lot of other time missed throughout to where like he almost ends up missing all like nearly four years of the decade. Yeah, he's he's missed, he's missed four years. Yeah. Um, even when he comes back eventually, he's kind of like not super full-time yeah. either. Like, so yeah, it's four, it's four years, and then like, he's awesome every time we have him. But then like, he's again, it's a it's a legitimate four year gap, not like four years of like 
quote unquote doing nothing like a, like an Akira Tozawa right. or whatever. Like it's four years of really not being active. Right. It's almost like it's almost it's definitely three full years and then like some change. It's like three and a half to three and three quarters years to where like when you add everything up, it's like ends up almost being four years with like missing other time randomly here and there. So it is like, eh, does he have a full case? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. Like, he de- definitely is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Everything he does is fantastic. Again, for me, it's like it's probably a lot of just not seeing everything from not watching WWE as much as I could have throughout the entire decade. Because um, it is like, you know, once you hit like 2015, I am almost done with WWE to the point where like I've seen a few stuff, a few things here and there from the big matches, but I'm not watching everything and. Uh, it's, it's it's like the, I think I think for me and like like there's like uh, and I think like you're number one like that's gonna be like you know like a selling point for him but it's like it's the constant reinvention that like you know like Chris Hero did that throughout like his entire career right. right like Daniel Bryan throughout his like just this decade changed himself time in and time out from like how he is like clean cut kind of generic because they don't know what to do with him so he's just like you know the heir apparent to your Benoit to your Benoit Malenko, and Malenko kind of guys and then they actually give him something to sink his teeth into when it's like the most intriguing one of the most intriguing things they've done because they don't usually do like slow burn stuff like that where someone's like so wholesome and good and then just like the temptation consumes them and then once they get the belt they transform into like a, to a, like a sniving like a kind of conniving sniveling cowardly heel in which he's never really been that before at any point in his time and like so he like he becomes a completely different guy than he's ever been he like this turns into this thing where he has like mental health issues and he has anger issues so now he's just like yelling and angry all the time as a comedy character but like that comedy character then gets so over that it turns into the parlay into like a serious gimmick and then that and then that turns into him like him transforming into another heel character that's way more vicious and mean and calculated than like the conniving heel stuff from before. And now we're back now we're back to like, you know, good old Daniel Bryan, but he's like he's gone through so many transformation the transformations just in this nine year period. And for WWE, a company where people where people like are so stagnant for so long, it's rare to see a guy that is like that that has changed so much over that course of time. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's very fair. Especially like yeah, he's not just changed; he's like developed. He's he's progressed. He's not just like changed gimmicks or whatever he's like actually like multifacetedly like became a different wrestler in a lot of different ways he's become a different person he's like really grown um in the company which is like yeah it's 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 rare not a lot of people do that but again like a big part of it for me is just missing a lot of it from like just i i i've seeked i sook i don't know what's the right where I have had done sucked his matches, his things that were important during the time period, but I did not watch everything and to really see just how like great he was throughout the entire time. You know what I mean? And, and I know that he was because like when I go out of my way to watch the big matches, I see how good he is. And I know his like obsession with, with, um, with quality to where I know that like, He's not having bad matches throughout, but I'm just not watching the day in day out stuff um, as much throughout the entire decade. And again, another part of it too is this like, 
taking so much time off. He feels important. And I get where you're coming from, but I guess just to me, it just didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't, it doesn't scream that, like, I can't think of 2010 without thinking about Daniel Bryan as much. He's definitely, like, he's on my list. He's almost made the top 10. Um, not quite there, but very close. Um, so, yeah. Actually, before I move on to my number one, I have one quick question to ask you, which is, I don't remember you right. saying AJ Styles. Where did you have him? I had AJ at uh, 17. Oh, okay. okay. I... For some reason, I thought I had him higher than you, but you had him lower than me. That seems odd. Um, either way. Oh yeah, now I remember. Now wait, I remember wait, what, talking what, about him. Wait, where's where, 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 where was AJ at? AJ for was you? number. I guess I set him at twelve, but he ended up at eleven. Okay, so we did talk. Yeah, we did talk and about I AJ remember though, now right? talking about him. I forgot. For some reason, my brain like blanked okay, on it. Right. And I had forgot that we had talked about him because I thought that. Okay. Yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, the talk last about episode, AJ, right. I for some reason I thought that we didn't. That was he was part of the people, the four people that we hadn't talked about, um, or that I thought we hadn't All talked right. about. Either way, my number one, your number two. So if we do combined ballots, the overall number one wrestler <laughs> of the 2010s, <laughs> if we're doing ubiquitous yeah. ballot, because there's nobody else who has cumulatively higher ratings than this man. Chris Hero. The and look and look, trust me, like like trust me, like this like from the beginning, this was a super, super, super tough call yes. on this. Trust me. Like I like I'm like I'm not kidding. I've spent like weeks like thinking about and agonizing, like I don't like I don't feel right every time I flip it and change it and do whatever. Like it's really that close for me. I, I can't blame you. And in the moment, I was definitely let down. But I do kind of like the idea that the kind of the highest profile match that we've ever had is Zack Sabre Jr. And we had him at number one and we had him at number three. Um, so I'm not going to complain about that. You know, <laughs> um, I kind of like that, that, that uh, the symmetry or whatever it would be for that. Um, but. And I get it. And number two is not bad. But to me, Chris Hero, I mean, did you know that Chris Hero worked in XPW? I did not know this until just right now. It was in 2003, so it doesn't count. No. He had one match in XPW in 2003. That's crazy. Um, Either way, Chris Hero started wrestling in 1999, which seems insane. Um, Chris Hero has the entire decade... Um, so that's another part of it. Like when you look at, I'm looking at his like cage match here and he's for the decade, he misses two months and every other, the rest of the decade he's, he's wrestling. He starts out, he starts out 2010. His first match of, uh, the decade is against Tagashi Segura in Noah, which is crazy, kind of crazy to think about. And uh, then the next match is Kings of Wrestling uh, versus Shuga and uh, Kentaro Shuga and uh, Yoshinara Agawa, which I remember that match being great. So you think about that he starts out the year in the Kings of Wrestling. He starts out the, the decade, I should say, um, in 
a tag team that only exists for basically two years of the decade, but still could arguably be in your top ten tag teams of the decade. I wouldn't argue with someone who would put the Kings of Wrestling as like a top five tag team of the decade, if we're perfectly honest. 2010s were not a strong tag team decade, realistically. Um, and the Kings of Wrestling have a lot of really good stuff. So think about this guy who's just like, he's got... In this decade, he's got a great tag team that he's a part of that feels really important. I talked about the NX or the ROH tag team run that they have. That's it within this decade, and it's like a big deal. Um, they've got Noah stuff. They've got uh, PWG. So CZW, like he's got a ton of great tag team work to start out the decade. Plus his phenomenal singles work that he starts out the decade with. Um, go from there. And relatively soon into the decade, he gets signed to uh, WWE in 2012. Um, spends time in like FCW, and then eventually, when that transitions into NXT, there's some there is some good uh, FCW stuff from him, but yeah, the the, Cla- the, Cla- the Claudio. I remember the, the Claudio and Rollins. The Rollins stuff is good. The yeah. Rollins stuff is definitely. Is He's got really some good. good stuff with Bo Dallas. Um, um, I would, I would, and I would say too, like people are gonna like do like the Regal match is the one everyone points to, but like, you know, like the best Richie Steamboat matches yeah. you'll see. <laughs> He's got good stuff with Richie Steamboat, which like does transition into NXT as well. Um, yeah, he mixes it up a little bit with Claudio even in FCW before it turns into NXT. So yeah, he's got like some good developmental stuff. FCW. There was a lot of good FCW stuff, and you could get most of it um, on tape or online. It like wasn't impossible to find, and I think I think a lot of it is still around. So people can search that stuff out if they're interested. But there is like good FCW stuff from him, good early NXT stuff, um, and like yeah, he, he. It's weird because NXT stuff, it's like it seems like he's focusing on getting into shape and working. He's having really good matches but it seems like most of his focus is probably on like working out um oh (laughs) he had a match with uh with vader's son that was really good i remember that one uh who was who was vader's son he was the same oh fuck that yeah 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 yeah, there was well wasn't he he was someone's tag team partner too wasn't it him and Corey graves Uh, yes yeah actually before Corey uh started tagging with um pack he was he was tagging with Corey graves yes uh, yeah. yeah man look fcw fcw yeah, over exactly here. <laughs> that was some good stuff man i would definitely recommend people go search that out if they can find it either way he has a lot of good stuff even early on in developmental um you know obviously there's the stories about like the idea that he was going to be in the wyatt family and it never it never happened um would have been interesting there's also the stories that he was going to be in the shield and that never happened right so not even this story. Punk, Punk straight up said he asked for him. He would have wanted him. Yeah, exactly. So he has some stuff. He has some good stuff in there. I think he has a match with uh, Brody Lee that I remember really enjoying. Man, how different? Man, how different is the rest of the decade? If that, if they keep Roman Reigns out of the Shield, and they did debut this Rollins, Moxley, and Hero and Hero stable. Who knows, man? That's it's insane to think about because it is like. Yeah, what the fuck happens? <laughs> what the fuck happens after that? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Huh. <laughs> because it is, yeah, it's 
does Roman Roman comes up eventually? They probably bring him up as a heel, right? You would think. Yeah. So it's like heel Roman by himself. Here, does Hero in the Shield become like a big deal? Like I don't know. Um. And then does what does Hero do after that? Like, could the would the what if the Shield had done just as much to like shoot stars to the top and one of them is hero that would be insane to think about yeah Yeah. that's but also it could have not i don't know anyways um he gets let go he gets like uh released he has a couple matches and the first really great match i don't remember the gargano match for the oh the the, the, the gargano match is great it's probably it probably is but the first really great match that i remember is the cedric match which is the next night or not the next night, but it's the next match he has, and that Cedric match is fucking phenomenal in PWX. And that this was at the the time where Cedric was having great matches in PWX, but it's like he hits the ground running. It's like a couple weeks after getting released from WWE, and he just starts fucking killing it. He goes from there into basically the run of a career. He wins the um the does he win the Dragon Gate title or the Evolve title? I think he wins the Evolve title. He won the Evolve title. Um. The, uh, Win six, win sixteen carrot. Yeah, win sixteen carrot wins. Um, the uh, what else does he do? Oh, uh, yeah, nothing else. He doesn't win any other big titles, but he he he, he, he comes he comes in the fuse with Cole. Yeah. Yes, and, in our uh, all those all those ma- all those matches all those matches are really good, and especially that Ringmasters Challenge match that's on YouTube that people can go watch. Like that is an incredible yes. match. He um, he goes he does the SCI eventually in here, which is phenomenal as well. He goes back to Noah and does a tag league with a uh, with Cole Cabana as his tag team partner, um, and has a lot of great stuff there. And then he goes on like the hot hot run for uh, like 2000, 2016, 2015, 16, um, and then eventually gets signed back to WWE. So. It's interesting. He's got like an extended period of time at the beginning of the decade on the indies. He's in WWE for a bit and doesn't have like a ton of matches. He's only there for like maybe like a year, maybe a little bit less. Um, And then comes back and he's back in WWE and he brings like the, a lot of the same energy he had on the indies to NXT now. And like that vibe is like accepted. And then I don't even know what the fuck happens to where it like kind of dis- dissipates and disappears but then he becomes like a like workhorse kind of guy for them that they send around to other places they have him having matches and like evolve and, and progress and yeah like the dark yeah, yeah like a match that like kind of gets forgotten because it's like it's in the shitty evolve phase like the, the shitty shitty phase of evolve but like we got we got hero versus darby and that match was great yeah exactly like <laughs> It was really weird that they were, like, just sending him all around. And, like, he became, like, the... He became, like, out of all the... the when the WWE was, like, open to letting their wrestlers work other places, he was the guy that was, like, sent around the most. Um, I guess you can get why. Because they were, like, having him not only scout, but they also know that they can trust him to, to not get hurt and, and just be, like, professional and have great matches. And he does the whole thing. And, yeah, he's just amazing. Obviously, coronavirus has kind of fucked him, but none of that really counts for 2010, so it doesn't really matter. But, oh, I, I, I would say too is like once even that ends, like he still he makes the most of those opportunities all the time. So like that Thatcher match, like the last Thatcher match we yes. hit in progress, and like 
him going in like the the NXT UK stuff and the the match with the performance the like the match with Bate, which is ridiculously good. And you know, that's like that that always comes out like it's gonna be the point here is that like yeah, Hero has these points where like they just stopped using him. Like Hero has the good FCW and FCW and NXT stuff, but then they just stopped using him. He does good work at NXT with Riddle, Atami, Gargano, uh, all these yeah, other people, dream. and then they just kind of stop. Yeah, and, and they just, and then they just stop using him. But like in that, you still have moments where he had enough good stuff is where it wasn't a complete waste when looking, but when doing something like this. Yeah, when you look back on it, he's always. He's always having output of great matches, even if they're not focusing on him. But yeah, I was I was just talking about like the actual like since COVID has hit, he's like he disappeared and then got fired, which is obviously whatever, and he hasn't wrestled since. But like I said, none of that matters for this because that's 2020, not you know 2019, not in the 2010s. But yeah, like that last run that he was having in NXT UK was like some inspired shit. Like it was fucking insane to watch him out there, and it's like. People continue to talk about NXT UK a little bit, like, really on the, like, very periphery about how there was, like, good wrestling happening on there. But, like, most of it (laughs) towards the end was him. Like, he was just overproducing with, like, major fucking insanely great matches. And, goddamn, I'm, like, I'm, like, actually looking at his schedule now. And they were, like, flying him back and forth from the UK to Florida regularly because he was still working house shows in NXT in Florida at the same time that he was in NXT UK. Jesus Christ. To think that this guy was fucking flying back and forth from England to America this regularly and still producing those amazing matches. I guess he was used to it, though, because when he was on the Indies, he was flying all over the fucking planet constantly. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, let's, like let's be clear. Like, it's 15 to 16. Like, yeah. that's, like, even, like, 14 to, 14 to 16. Like... I mean, Jesus Christ, the flying that this guy was fucking doing, the traveling, just the volume. Like, again, uh, neither of us had him as wrestler of the year that year. You had Trevor Lee in 2016. I had Zach. But, like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, that's, like, that's, like, that's, no one can do that. And even, like, Zach at, like, his high volume was, like, it felt a little different with Hero because Hero was going everywhere. Hero was going to St. Louis Anarchy with that shit. Hero was going to fucking, um... What was that other? What was that other Scottish fed that wasn't that wasn't ICW? The, the one that had oh, uh, Hero versus they did Coffee. That co- yeah. Uh, what the fuck was that place called? Um, yeah. For, uh, it was like Title or whatever the fuck. Like whatever, whatever it is. Like, but like, like shit. Like, like he's going everywhere with yeah. that. And it, it, like, it was just like such an incredible thing to watch because, like, no, if you're good. You can have, you're gonna have a good match. You're gonna have a good match with Chris Hero and sometimes reach ridiculous heights and have hero matches all over them, all over like you know people's match of the year sheets. But like, if you could, if you had a like a mediocre match with Chris Hero, that became an indictment of oh, yeah. like you fucking suck. Yeah, you're done. Like Joe, like 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 for Joe Coffee, that was like for for because of that, people were like oh yeah, Joe Coffee must suck because he didn't have a great match with Chris yeah. Hero. For Eddie Dennis, it was like, oh yeah, you must suck because you you didn't have a great match with Chris Hero. Right? Yeah, it was. It it did become like foolproof that you were gonna have a great match with with Chris Hero no matter what. And and again, it's like putting it in perspective of the idea that he was going all over the fucking planet the the entire time and like everywhere from every state in America to all over the UK to Japan and just having Mexico even like and having great matches with everyone. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I guess, I don't know. I feel like that's it. Yeah. It was Discovery. I mean, like Discovery Pro Wrestling. That was where the Joe Coffee match happened, which is just like some random ass Irish promotion. Okay, okay, Discovery. Yeah. But yeah, like it's, Hero. Like I said, it was razor close between him and between him and Brian for me. And Hero is again reinvention and just learning how to do certain things. I mean, like you know, the dude's body, the dude's body, uh body weight definitely increased as the decade went on and he learned how to use that shit like almost like became like an american like yoshihiro takiyama kind of yeah like like he like like usually like he like you know like dylan usually like you know kind of comparing to buddy rose but like i think in terms like using his size he became like he became like very like takiyama influenced and like i feel like that like that like is a guy that is like befitting of the name like you know like the wrestling genius because no matter where he is in his career he always learns and creates new ways in order to make that work not just for himself but like for other people to benefit off of it and people benefited benefited off of having a chris hero around uh a lot and i feel like that's gonna be a be a be a thing that's like you know the scene misses when like the american indie scene is like rebuilding itself or even when the european indie, indie scene is rebuilding itself is like you're not going to have a Chris Hero. You're not going to have a Eddie Kingston to, like, you know, be around to help, really. And granted, Hero is out of the out of the WWE now. So if he does wrestle again when, th- when things are back to normal, maybe, like, who knows what his, what his intentions are. But that's going to be a thing is that there isn't a guy like Chris Hero who's taking his time when he could be in New Japan. Like, that was a thing that was, like, as far as I know the plan at one point before WWE swooped in. Like... A guy that could be in New Japan, could be full time in Ring of Honor, could be in could be in Impact, doing whatever, but he's here in these small American indie shows, these small European shows, like just being like everything that you want a wrestler to be, like like at like this late in the game and still having the best match of the night, and you know like when like you know as while like I think that like some people may have hit higher peaks like. The peak ROH of Joe and McGinnis and Danielson and Punk and all that stuff like may have been the peak performances and low key and like his early success and homicide. You may think of like different people when you think of like, you know, the best of an indie wrestling. But in terms of like what someone meant to that scene in, you know, the unsigned, unbacked world of independent wrestling. There is not someone that meant more to independent wrestling than Chris Hero. Yeah, and we've talked about it, obviously, and we've talked about it a ton in general, but, like, independent wrestling is the thing that matters to me. So, it's, like, of course, the most important independent wrestler of the decade, the most important independent wrestler maybe of all time. I mean, I don't know if there's... The best, the best. I mean, like, the, like, like the best indie wrestler yeah, of all time, I, straight up. He's the best. He's the best indie wrestler yeah, of all time. I think it's, it's like, I don't know that there's any way to debate it. Like, Daniel Bryan, maybe, but the idea that he's like kind of became a WWE wrestler, like Chris Hero, the greatest indie wrestler of all time. Indie wrestling is is what I care about. Chris Hero is is my guy. Like, I I love Chris Hero. I think he's had great matches for the entire decade. I think he's had a ton of insane work. And the idea that like. He just can't make it fit in WWE, no matter how good he is and no matter how much his output is great. He just can't, like, fit in and make it work. But, yeah, I mean, 
that's it for me. I mean, that's that that is closing out the 2010s as far as I'm concerned. All right, and I want to thank you, Timothy, as always for uh, you know bearing with bearing with me as we you know go three hours a show and uh, you know cul- you know culminate you know like oh, like a little a little I guess like over nine hours uh, of podcast maybe closer to ten. So thank you, so thank you, Timothy, for your uh, for your for your time tonight, and you know. I guess I guess soon ish, like maybe you know we can do like a short little recap of whatever we feel like talking about on the on the weekly show. Uh, oh no, but maybe you like maybe you need a month away from me since you've heard me talk so much the last the last like the last week. I, Who knows? I mean, I'm ready to go tomorrow. We can do a Wrestle Kingdom show. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if uh, I don't know if the bandwidth can handle it, but I don't need any time off. We can we can definitely get back to it. I know you got match of the decade coming out very shortly so we'll uh i'll be definitely waiting with bated breath for that of course like like everyone because to me every year we do this and we end up going this long where you, like you said it's like maybe 10 hours probably probably is 10 hours at this point but to me like this feels like the, this is easy this is nothing the match of the year is always so daunting that's why i'm like have such huge respect for you and brock for doing that shit because i couldn't deal with it Talking about wrestlers is pretty easy. I mean, and even I do it wrong sometimes. People get pretty upset about some of the stuff that I say, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the match of the year, just, oh, God, I couldn't deal with it. So so I'm looking forward to that, of course. I get to sit back and listen to that, and hopefully I don't have to do any editing. Um, we'll see. And, uh, yeah, so, but, yeah, like I said, I'm always, I'm down. I could do, I could, we could do Wrestle Kingdom talk as far as I'm concerned right now, if you want to, we'll stop recording and then we'll do the Wrestle Kingdom <laughs> rewind after we're done. Uh, uh, and thank you all to have made it this far. And if you listen to the, just like the top 10, uh, or if you listen to all three parts, thank you for, uh, any bit of this that you've listened to, uh, subscribe to the, we don't know wrestling podcast network, wherever you listen to your pod, to wherever you listen to your podcast and follow the, we don't know wrestling podcast network. That's W that's WDKWPN on Twitter and follow our pal Jamesy and his uh, pal, the boot, the boots, the boots and trunks podcast as they're getting off the ground. And we're going to be getting more, we're going to be getting more episodes from him and uh, you know, just more, uh, more blood on the audio, on the audio network. And as I said, thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. Mm-hmm.